0: All right! Welcome to Phone Booth Fighting, everybody. Before we get the show started properly, a quick programming note. It is entirely possible that you are hearing this and thinking... Hey, what happened to Frank and Richard? Did they go away for like a month? No, actually we did not. Uh, we are about to play for you episode 84. What happened about a month ago is that we attempted to relaunch com. We're still going to relaunch com with an awesome new dazzling website. But the problem was a few weeks back when we did that... We inadvertently broke our RSS feed. If you don't know what an RSS feed is, don't feel bad. Frank doesn't know what it is either, and I barely know what it is, but it's very important as it turns out in terms of getting the podcast to you guys. Some people were not affected at all, so you have not missed an episode, but some of you may have thought that we took a pause right about episode 77, and that was not the case. So it's entirely possible that now, uh, today, as I believe all of this has been fixed, that uh, you may be uh, all of a sudden supplied with a number of back episodes downloading to your listening device. Uh, or not. Maybe, maybe you never missed a beat to begin with. Anyway, hopefully this all serves as some sort of explanation As to what has happened and hopefully it has all been corrected as of uh, right now as I speak to you. So just a couple of quick things about that. If for some reason uh, you have had any problem getting these, you could do myself and Frank a huge favor. And just let us know somehow that you're getting it now and everything is okay. Uh, If you can just let us know one if you had any interruptions and two if you're getting it uh, getting phone booth fighting sent to you okay now starting with this episode 84 and also how you listen to it do you listen on iTunes Stitcher Radio Google Play SoundCloud one thing that came to light as a result of dealing with all this the last few weeks is that we realized that there were any number of podcast platform listening platforms that we didn't even know we were on, which is awesome. That means you guys are uh, spreading the word and spreading the link, but um, we didn't know about that. So now we're going to have to go through and try to make sure each one of them have been corrected properly. So when you, uh, when you let us know that everything is uh, okay, then uh, maybe also let us know how it is you're listening, what podcast app or service or whatever uh you use to get us. You can send us an email, phone boothfighting at gmail.com, or you can always message us on social media, our phone booth fighting Facebook page. We see those messages. Twitter is at phone booth fight, uh, Even Instagram if you want is uh at phone booth fighting. So we would really appreciate it just to let us know because it's uh it's been a stressful uh, few weeks being afraid that uh, we might have misplaced a few of you guys along the way. And we got to make sure that you are back safely in the fold. So we'd appreciate it if you could take a second and just let us know. Uh, so that being said, we've got a, uh, a lengthy episode for you today, a good one, uh, a lot of fight talk. It's going to start out with Chael Sonnen. He's got a submission underground tournament that involves John Jones and Dan Henderson grappling this weekend. Did you know about this? Did you know that two of the biggest names in the history of mixed martial arts are grappling each other this weekend under the umbrella of Chael Sonnen's promotion? Yes, that is happening, and... Uh, Uh, The American Gangster himself will be along momentarily to talk to us about that. Also, the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, has a headlining Fight Pass card uh, tonight as uh, we speak. And I had a few words with him via the phone. We're going to recap the Ultimate Fighter finale, uh, post-fight press conference audio with me talking to uh, the guys involved in the main and the co-main events. Uh, a lot of other stuff, even a even a a, a John Jones diversionary uh, a d- detour of a conversation, along the way between myself and Frank. We covered a lot of territory, so uh, we'll get it started. I will let you know that um, the first couple of uh, seconds of chilson and audio was uh, cut off. That was pilot error. Uh, I'll, I'll take the hit on that one. But you didn't miss much. We just got him on the phone, said, hey, chill, how you doing? Good to talk to you again. And then we started getting into talk about the uh, Submission Underground Grappling Tournament this weekend. And that's right where the audio picks up. So uh, it'll sound like we're jumping in, in the middle of it, but you really only miss the, uh, first 30 seconds or so of pleasantries between Chael and Frank and myself. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for being patient. Thanks for hanging with us. We're really sorry about the inconveniences. If any of you have experienced them over the last, uh, month or so getting the episodes, we think all of that is fixed. Please let us know that it is fixed. And, uh, we promise, we promise you, our solemn vow to you, Phone Booth Fighting listener, we will never mess with the RSS feed again. We learned our lesson. All right, here's Phone Booth Fighting, episode 84. Enjoy. It,
1: it is interesting, and there is a question. How good is this son of a bitch? Can he, could have he made an Olympic team? Could have he been an NCAA champion? I mean, the guy's a winner in everything that he does, so I, yeah, he does underplay, and he's got this... A blue belt or however, but Lyoto machita has got a black belt and John Jones choked him, not just to a tap out, but all the way unconscious. And uh, I, we could probably play that game a few times where he tapped out of the black belt. So to your point, that was in an MMA atmosphere. I am very curious when he bends his knees and has to get his setups and his takedowns from there, as opposed to an upright posture, coming off of punches and kicks, how well can he do? But in MMA, he did out wrestle Daniel Cormier. Uh, I have a lot higher grappling pedigree than John Jones. We weren't even close in the grappling. Uh, you know when I locked up with him. So the guy is very interesting. And on paper, he's he's not Dan Henderson. Dan's a two-time Olympian. Right. Uh, but in practice, uh, in reality, I, I don't know. I really don't know where he stands. That's still John Jones. At the end of the day, that's still John Jones.
0: And Frank, to your point, when we were talking about this, you were saying that you you see. John Jones is having the distinct advantage here.
2: Absolutely. I I trained with him before, and uh, John in the room was the best grappler as far as wrestling, moving around. Um, He is, uh, you know, his his ability to change levels and shoot doubles, and the guy uh, over at Jackson smashed everybody everybody had a hard time with him grappling wise anytime we locked up with him and even when he had on um, wednesdays was a wrestling day people i mean literally everybody comes in with the uh, wrestling shoes and as a joke a lot of the guys would even put on singlets but uh you know we didn't really even take shots from a standing position like you would in mma it was a pure wrestling like a collegiate wrestling practice that uh, uh that they ran and John, you know, excelled at it, you know, and, and the, in fact, actually, even Ricky Lindell one time was sitting there watching him wrestling, and uh, he's friends with Cale Sanderson, and they had talked about it, and Cale had said that if he had gone to college, the guy was a shoe in for a national champ, hmm. like, without a doubt in his mind, that that was the heavyweight national champ running around, and wow. most likely an Olympic finalist.
0: Yeah. Well, let me, wow. let me pose this question to both you guys then, and I'll start with you first, Cale. Uh, that being said, everything that Frank just said about John, and and both of you guys have have had a chance to, well, Frank to train with him, you to compete against him, Chael. Uh Should we factor in though that because this isn't pure MMA, John is not going to be able to start with the kicks, with the strikes, with the 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 range advantage and all that kind of thing. So that you know, does it does does any of what Frank just said, Chael? possibly become somewhat neutralized if let's say we go to those overtime rounds and uh, Dan Henderson's starting on your back or Dan Henderson is starting in uh, the, with the spider web position going for that that arm bar
1: yeah, and see that's where the strategy comes in and I would I would suspect that John Jones doesn't know the strategy of EBI I would suspect Dan Henderson doesn't either but to your point, the best grappler doesn't always win. I've seen some of these regulation matches where a guy just gets gets killed. He gets taken down. They blow past his guard. They sit in a full mount. But the clock expires, and then all of a sudden, they get to go to those specific positions of overtime, and he can find a submission or, or he can hang on longer. and it, it's, So that gets really interesting, but that is where it comes in. I want to see these guys just on the purity you know, it's not it's not always who gets their hand raised that, that is the better grappler. Sometimes you'll, you'll watch the loser and go, okay, if I could have one of their skills, I'd rather have that guy, even though he came in second here tonight. Uh, but that could be part of it. You know, I'm real curious on the takedown. Will Dan Henderson get taken down and get smothered uh, by John Jones? I think that's very possible. But is Dan going to get to his positions, get to the body, be able to use some of that Greco-Roman and get John down? That's possible, too. So, I expect that these guys will go to overtime. I I can't see either one of them finishing the other, but again, I'm going off their MMA careers. Dan Henderson is very hard to finish. He's been in there uh, with big nog a couple of times, for example, and was never, never close, at least in the first contest to being submitted, avoided a number of submissions in the second contest before he finally came. But it's just going to be interesting. And then John Jones, I've never seen the son of a bitch in trouble. I've never even seen him in trouble in a match so it's i I just i think there's more to it than just who wins i mean i really do want to see who wins the positions if john does get him down can he blow past his guard can henderson scramble and get back to his feet is one guy going to get a catch on the other guy there's a lot of moving parts here before we just get to the resolution of of who wins and loses there's going to be a lot of action they're going to get onto the fence and onto the cage and that's where it does get a little bit more like MMA. What do you think, What's going to happen from there?
0: What do you think about that point, Frank? That you know maybe the fact that these EBI rules are applying that that somebody could start with somebody's back or start with uh, their opponent in a vulnerable position, especially if it goes to overtime, could that at all neutralize the the okay. advantage you see John having?
2: Um, I think they're both probably going to be equal there, given you know. It, either guy I think has the, probably the you know good back attack and, and, and same probably spider guard, you know. And I doubt either one of them with the spider, you know, top position with the arm, really are going to be that much more savvy over the other guy. It's not really either one of their positions, and I doubt either one of them really even drill it that much, to be yeah. honest with you. I mean, maybe they've drilled it for the last couple of weeks leading up to it, but obviously, you know, their years of experience, it's going to be, you know, that'll be dwarfed. Um, I really think that, uh, you know, John is able to, you know, John's 28 years old. He's able to change levels still and, and and take shots. And, and even uh, at Dan's highest level, collegially, you know, f- street, uh, you know, folk style and freestyle uh, is not what he got his Olympic pedigree in. I think that he's much better with his Greco-Roman and the clinch, and I think that uh, it's not going to be there at all that much. I think John will stay on the outside and dart in and, uh, you know, and take him down and put him down and and from there i actually uh i'm not going to be surprised at all in fact actually i i'm leaning towards that belief that john gets a submission early on before it even goes into regulation
0: wow now
1: frank 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 let me ask you this let me ask you this real quick there there appears to be in my limited experience in comparison to yours so I, i want you to weigh in on this but there's a tipping point where size works against you in grappling and i feel from my experience. Particularly when a guy has your back. If if I'm going to give my back to a guy in practice, the bigger the guy, the better. Uh, The smaller Yeah. What's up with that? The smaller guys, when they're on your back, they can hang on. It's hard to shake their hips. It's hard to lose them. And, you know, time matters in the overtime under EBI rules. They start a clock. They count that time. That might be a position where the smaller guy, in this case, Henderson, could have could have some success,
2: no? No, I agree with you. I mean, that is true. Uh, The guys that are, seems, you know, a shorter limb wrapped around a guy with longer limbs, it's harder to get them off. And so a lot of times when it comes to especially uh, escaping someone on your back, it is. It's easier. I have an easier time when escaping guys that are big because the holes are bigger to get through. Where you get a guy that's small and he wraps you up, and, you know, even if he seat belts you, the whole, you know, the gap between his arms and his elbows are just that much less for you to try to get your elbow inside and try to get inside control and try to fight out of it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I I, I think it's all relative, because as quickly as Frank says that, a couple of weeks ago, I tried to put a body triangle on Frank, (laughs) and at one point, Frank just goes, okay, let's just pretend it's on, because my... (laughs) (laughs) As <laughs> long as my legs are, I couldn't quite get them all the way Let's around. Let's just go with the beat. hooks. Let's yeah. just go with the back. <laughs> hooks. Do it. Hey, I want to ask you from a promotional standpoint on this, Chael. You know, you you got your name on this thing. They couldn't come up with a better uh, spokesman and and hype man for the Submission Underground. But uh, you know, you have had a a, a very uh, tenuous relationship over the years with John Jones. So did you? I, I guess part of my question is where does that stand these days? And, but also, were you involved in the actual conversation with him to get him to be a part of this?
1: Yeah, I, w- I was also the matchmaker. So I lined up all the matches. And, you know, as far as John Jones went, yeah, it did start out that way. We did the Ultimate Fighter together. Frank was there. And, uh, you know, my biggest takeaway dealing with John on a personal level is he was a cool guy. I mean, John was nice to people. Uh, he treated people right. He's fun to be around. He's charismatic. I mean, John was cool. You know, every time he got in trouble, I was always one of his quickest defenders just to say that. I would go, look, you guys think he's a hoodlum, but the truth is he's a really nice guy. He just needs to quit driving his car. I mean, that, that was the biggest problem he had. Other than that, he was just kind of a pretty regular young guy uh, with some time to kill that you know, made some decisions and got behind a wheel. So I th- things were pretty cool with John, but I'll tell you this on dealing with him. He's not a yes man. There's a lot of things we wanted him to do. Uh, promotion wise interviews and some appearances and it, he didn't say yes to them all but when he did say yes you could you could count on it. that was the end of it and really that's all you need when you're working with a guy you, you know it, it's nice when somebody always says yeah, me should take yes all the time super super great john threw some nose in there but when he said yes you could count on it like clockwork and uh you know i called him we wanted him to wrestle Vinny. Uh, Vinny Magliash. Yeah. And that was a pretty compelling line because that would be the first time in 10 years. John Jones has entered a contest of any kind where he is not supposed to win. Hmm. Uh, John was cool about it. He's like, look, you know, Vinny's maybe I'd be a little over my head there, but I'll do it. And then we changed and it was going to be Nick Diaz. And again, John's like, I'll do it. Uh, And then John had a suggestion. He said, look, If I'm going to do this, what do you think about Dan Henderson? You know, we got this UFC 151. It's always kind of sat bad with me. Uh, Maybe now's the time. And as soon as he said it, it was like a light went on. Of course, of course it needs to be Dan Henderson. So I've known Dan for forever. That was one phone call. He said yes, and, and boom, it was on.
0: Well, I, I think it's great that uh, John had the idea of erasing the blight of uh, his plan match with uh, Dan Henderson at UFC 91. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, Chael, but uh, just having a source tell me uh, this, this coming in late that Greg Jackson has advised John Jones against taking this grappling match. So, uh, I don't know, you may want to give him a call. Uh,
1: oh, yeah. Oh, that that's wonderful if that just happened. <laughs> that's uh, wonderful I, news I, that, the, the, the good the good news for me is john's plane leaves in about oh, 12 hours okay. i'll have my hands on him at that point once i get my hands on him once he's in portland we'll know for sure
0: that will always be my memory of that uh ill-fated pay-per-view is uh greg jackson advising uh 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 john jones against fighting uh chael well, and, and, and the conference call I was on with uh, Dana White where I had to – my arm was not long enough to hold the phone away from my ear uh, at the volume at which Dana White was yelling at the top of his lungs about uh, Greg Jackson being a career killer. I'll tell you this, Chael, he could not have uh, ha- spoken in more glowing ter- terms about you. Uh, he said he need Dana White said he needed 10 Chael sunnins and as I recall, he was letting all of us in the media know that you had agreed, you said you would fly to Vegas that night and weigh in, I believe is what you had promised. Yeah, man, well, you know, I could never
1: miss an opportunity like that. You know, it's a world title match, you're out there, you're doing everything you can to get those kind of opportunities, but inside, you know, and that's the outside, and you, and you move forward and you hope for the best, but inside... I couldn't believe John's didn't take the match. I was scared to death of John Jones, Regar- yeah. regardless of what I was saying. I'm looking going, man, that's John. I just, I just got cleaned up by Anderson Silva. So my confidence wasn't at a height. I was quick to get back on the horse. That's what you have to do and move forward. But when he turned that down, I was thinking, really? I mean, that was a huge compliment to me. But at the same time, I thought, John, this is on six days notice. I'm not ready. You, you are prepared. I'm changing weight classes. I was surprised. I, I played it a different way in the media, but inside I thought, oh, John doesn't know. He, he He's going to kick my ass. I remember
0: thinking that. Well, lest anybody think this uh, fight card is built around one match, let's let's uh, transition to the, the uh, co-main event here that you put together, Chael. Uh, another couple of very recognizable names to UFC fans, the uh, very recent UFC women's bantamweight champion Misha Tate, is taking on jessica i uh these two have fought before in mma they fought back at uh, ufc on fox 16 tate won that fight via unanimous decision but uh tell, tell us about putting this one together
1: Yeah, so so those ladies have some kind of heat with each other and i don't know what it is and, and as a promoter from a promotional standpoint and marketing if i could have found out i would have really ran with that i don't they kind of played it close to their vest but Misha was going through different – it was kind of a revolving door for who she was going to uh, take on. It looked like it was going to be Mackenzie Dern. That's Mackenzie's world. She's a, she's a world champion in yeah. grappling. She's looking to transition to MMA. I mean, what an opportunity for her to get in there with the queen of MMA. She, the, Misha was just a champion five months ago. Champion of the world. What an opportunity. And it's, it's under rules that would favor Mackenzie. Misha accepts. Mackenzie turns it down. So we're scratching our head going – Wow mckinsey you don't want to do this. No, I want to focus on MMA. It's like, McKenzie, this is how people learn who you are. You no come in and, and try to get one across the plate on the former champ. So at any rate, when that didn't happen and, and the musical chairs was taking place, Juliana Pena's name was thrown out, and uh, Sarah Kaufman uh, accepted the man. We had these ones that were close, and all of a sudden we said, "What about Jessica?" I? And Misha Tate responded in about one second and said, I'll do it in a heartbeat. So I went to Jessica. I, what about Misha Tate? She said, what do I have to do to get this match? So uh, I'm like, well, you just did it. That's all I needed. That's all I needed to hear. So I, I don't know what the backstory is there. They fought years ago. Misha beat her. And it's, there's been bad blood ever since. And I, And I wish I could tell you why they both want this so bad. But I don't know. They have played it close. They haven't revealed it. But here we are.
0: That's fantastic. How, how did you get involved in in this promotion, Chael? Uh, did did Flow Combat come to you and say, "Hey, we want to start doing a grappling tournament. We want you to be the 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 face of it." Were you involved in you know even before that? How'd that whole relationship come about? No, so I w- I was out in Dallas
1: uh, for WrestleMania. I was in a hotel room and I was talking to a guy named Brian McMahon, front row Brian.
0: And- oh yeah, yeah, comes on your podcast all the time.
1: Yeah, and we were kind of just bouncing ideas back and forth. And Flow Sports covers uh, essentially niche sports that that have fan bases but aren't big enough to get on television. Take wrestling, for example. That's where they started. They transitioned into gymnastics and track and field, uh, and they got into grappling. And when they launched grappling, I just called the CEO, uh, Martin. He he and his brother are both CEOs. But I I, I talked to Martin specifically and just said, look – let's do this instead of you guys going around and just having other people's content which is great but what about producing some of our own and he said uh he said yeah let's do it um and that was really it it was a real quick conversation it was real easy and he just he just passed the reins over and said look use our office use our resources run with this thing and uh You know, at the end of the day, if the profits exceed the expenditures, we keep moving forward. But it is an experiment. I mean, we don't know. We don't know what to expect. In in MMA, this would do blockbuster numbers. In grappling, it is a little bit different. And is it going to be great? Is there a passion out there where fans want to see it? Man, I'm going to have to let you know on Monday morning, I don't know what to expect on Sunday. I know as soon as this card was announced, the venue sold out Uh, uh, 72 hours later. So if one simple market of Portland, Oregon, uh, wants to pay good money and, and, and give up time on a Sunday afternoon to watch this, I have to assume that the rest of the markets uh, throughout America do do as well. But uh, we're going to have to find out on Monday, man. It's an experiment. Grappling is a new thing in, in terms of having it online subscription model and, and bringing in big names. It's it's new.
0: See, Chael, I did not know that the, the answer to that question, uh, that you had gone to Flow Combat about that. That's why you, I think that's why you make a really good podcaster is, is you hustle and you get the idea of being proactive and the, the, the do it yourself nature of a lot of this, this untamed digital frontier. And that to me is just, uh uh is, is further evidence of that that you realize that uh you know in this in this modern era you can't just rest on yesterday's success i mean uh, those ideas are always uh the wheels are always turning and it sounds like you knew exactly what you had to do when you came up with the hot idea which is to push it yourself
1: yeah you know i appreciate that compliment and uh you know i i really did go to the right guys these are the perfect partners and this digital space man it's the wild west right now yep. you know it's anything goes and people can enter it and you know, anytime you're in a business where there's no barriers uh, of entry, that can be a little bit tough because now you've got competition coming from all sides. But the, the other side of it is, you know, even in the in the dot-com boom, uh, yeah, that bubble burst. But the people that stuck around, the Amazons and the Ebays, and you know, you could go from there. Yeah. The the cream did rise to the top, and and Flow Sports is fantastic. So, you know, we don't we don't deserve a lot. We didn't exactly go out and invent uh, the new iPhone here. This is an eight minute grappling match on a Sunday afternoon. It's not necessarily a noble idea, but it will be presented uh, in its most professional and fantastic, fantastic and high budget of a way as can be done.
0: Do you think that there is going to become a point that? UFC or even Bellator for that matter. I mean some of the some of the the, the big MMA companies that have stars under contract. Start trying to control the grappling uh, participation from their guys and girls a little bit more. It seems like right now nobody's real concerned about it because it's kind of an off the radar thing. I love the fact that it's getting more and more popular with with submission underground and and EBI and and that you know metamoris and all that sort of thing. But it also does seem, guys, that you know especially once money starts factoring into it, I just worry that uh, the man, if you will, is all of a sudden going to notice this sort of thing and start. Trying to limit the participation of uh, some of its uh, contract players. Well, frankly, you know, you know, what do you think about that? Uh, you think well, that could happen? You know,
2: I actually think it will happen. Yeah. Look at the UFC clothing line. Before, when they first bought the UFC, you know, and if UFC first got in, you know, involved, it was, uh, you know, it was a wild, wild west of who could wear what brands, right. Tap out Affliction, whoever, and then slowly they started saying, okay, well, wait a minute, if you're going to sponsor our guys you know we're going to you know we're going to uh you know, look through it, you know, and, and and make sure you know that it's okay. And then after a while, it was like, well, no. Then they all have to pay us a hundred grand to us each year before they can become a
0: yeah, like uh, an anti. right? Like a, yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. First, right. you have to you know, you know buy in,
2: buy into us, and then you can give the fighters whatever. Yeah. And then it got to the point where they completely closed it down. And it was like, well, no, it's only you know we're gonna partner with Reebok, and it's only our apparel. So I mean, I think they saw companies like Affliction making money, and soon as I mean, before when it's somebody else making some money, it's like, ah, oh, who cares. I think they stayed out, and I think that's what stage right now uh, uh, submission grappling would be at. But if it does come to a time where people are putting out big numbers and there's a revenue there, then absolutely they're going to pull the reins on it, and why not? Why not take advantage of that income for themselves?
0: What do you think, Joe? you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, I've, I've been a little surprised that the Dana White and the Scott Cokers and the Ray Cephos out there have allowed guys to do it. Uh, Dana White has a policy right now. Uh, He's got contracts with guys. He he can stop them. But surprisingly, his policy is as long as it doesn't involve a strike, uh, go ahead. And you have to get permission that's in your contract. And he says yes every single time. And every single time he says it, I'm grateful. But I am surprised. He's got athletes here. He has every right to uh, protect his interest. And for some reason, grappling, maybe to Frank's point that it's a little under the radar, Uh, as soon as somebody is hurt, that plug is going to get pulled on that entire policy. Or as soon as somebody attempts to do a grappling in a conflicting date, uh, and creates a problem, the plug will get pulled. But until then, he seems to be all for it. So look, let's move forward. I'll tell you, I only have one resentment in MMA. I love my MMA career. I had so much fun. There's one part about MMA I don't like, and that's that we get three fights a year. I came from a wrestling background where we would have five and six matches every single week. And it was just really tough for me to, to only get to show off or go out and perform or however you want to say it, three times a year. So grappling does lend to, okay, look, if you can grab a couple of grappling matches as well, you can stay a little bit more busy. Um, I think some other guys agree with that. I think a guy in John Jones's spot, and I just went through the same thing where you're, you're sitting in the principal's office trying to run out of clock on a suspension. You can't get a license. So the only thing you can turn to if you want to stay active and busy and motivated and you know, travel and weigh in and warm up in the back and walk out and slap hands and compete with somebody else uh, is grappling. So it, it is a really great option. But guys, to be candid, I've been blown away that Dana sides off on it. I'm grateful yeah. he does, and I won't be. But I won't be mad at him the day he says the policies changed. Man, I get it. He's got an interest in athletes, and he's got a contract that says they can't do it without his blessing. He just keeps giving it.
0: Well, Joe, you just said uh, Dana White's policy toward grappling is as long as it doesn't involve a strike, go ahead. I think that's also his current policy toward the Fighters Association. Uh, as long as it's not involving a strike, uh, go ahead, boys, have fun. Uh, oh, I see I see what you did there, yeah, little strike. There's little, a, right. orga- a little organized labor humor for you there, Chael. It,
2: it took me a moment, but now I'm not bad. I was behind bad. on a second too bad. Don't feel bad. <laughs> I was bad. trying to put it together where you were going.
0: <laughs> All right. Hey, before we let you go, Chael, of course, we got to uh, talk about the other big thing on your horizon uh, and get an update on how things are going for that, and that's your return uh, to the cage, Saturday, January 21st first uh live from the forum in Inglewood, California. You're taking on UFC Hall of Famer Tito Ortiz that is January 21st. Uh Frank and I are planning a road trip to LA to be covering it there uh cage side and uh, uh by the way, you think we could get Frank approved for a press credential? I think Frank could get a fight that night if he wanted. That's Frank <laughs>
1: Mir. Yes. Okay. Yes, Frank nice. could do anything he wants.
0: All right. So we, we want to be there, obviously, uh, to, to cover it. But uh, let's let's just get an update and see how uh, how plans are going for that. Uh, Jill, a lot of anticipation about that fight.
1: Well, I can tell you I'm, I'm working really hard. And, uh, I mean, that's all I can do. I got, I got my coach out here. In fact, he, he's staying in the house with me. He's downstairs right now. We're, we're going twice a day, every day, and we're pushing hard. And, and outside of that, there's not much I can do. Um, I'm prepared. I know Tito, I competed with him in in amateur wrestling. I followed his career. He had a great one. Uh, I know what I'm getting into. I like the weight class. I, 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 like the rounds. I like the whole bit. So, Uh, you know, the opportunity is there. What happens when two guys go at it, man, anything can happen, but I will show up on January 21st prepared. And when that rest says fight, I promise you, I will.
0: Did it? Did it uh, feel good to you that you, when the UFC, because uh, originally they were going to go head to head with you guys in Anaheim, and they just they rescheduled that date. Uh, was there anything in the back of your mind that was like, hey, you know, uh, that maybe that's that's an indication about the the uh, the eyes that that might be on this Bellator card that night? I'll tell you, it, the,
1: the competition's fun. I love competition. The UFC has done counter programming before, and I get it. And you've got to mm-hmm. go out there, and you got to earn your 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 shares now they are different business models one is in the pay-per-view model and one is in the television ratings free tv model right so it's 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 a little bit different but counter programming is tough now they went a step further in that not only were they doing that they were coming 14 miles up the road with their venue so now we're competing for live ticket sales also made it very tough made it very fun you know it, it got you on edge it thought okay you you know we're going to have to promote differently. We have been on top of our game. We're going to have to work extra hard, but that's what competition is. And when they changed their mind on that date and re- rescheduled, yeah, there was a little bit of a relief. You know, one, one thing when you, when you're with a company and particularly when you've been in the sport as long as me, and I've been with all the, all the organizations, I, I fought for every organization out there uh, except for pride all the way down to gladiator challenge and king of the cage. Um, one thing about it is they're not here anymore. I have great memories from Bodog, but they're gone. I have great memories uh, as does Frank uh, from WEC, but they're not here anymore. And so you you always want these companies uh, to survive, and uh, when you have that level of of competitiveness, uh, it gets tough. It gets really tough. So yeah, there there was there was it, it was nice. It, it was nice. I'm claiming victory on that one, whether whether we deserve it or not. I think that's just the rules of the game. If if two people are in and one people pulls out, you have the right to claim victory.
2: Absolutely agree with you. I think they just looked at what they were facing and I think it would be better to go ahead and leave it questioned whether or not they would have gotten their ass kicked rather than to answer it, which it looked like, I mean, on paper, between you and Tito fighting as far as popularity and the leverage of the fact that it's going to be on TV and not pay-per-view, they didn't stand a chance. Unless they pull Conor out, I mean, there was no other way they were going to able to circumvent that. You know, go watch you and Tito for free or go pay 50 bucks for somebody else. It's like, man, you better put one hell of a card up to uh, you know, and then also too for the live gate. The ticket sales are they really going to drop what they sell their tickets for just to try to match you guys? I just saw it as a, a no win for them.
1: I thought that was a little bit tough too, and we had a jump start on them. We got a great push on mm. tickets, and the, and the forum isn't sold out. There's still tickets there, but boy, we we made a big dent in that uh, in that building right on the first weekend. So yeah, we did have them up against an eight ball a little bit, but again. Those guys are competitors. They would have pulled out the stops, too, and I, I thought all hell was going to break I loose. And, I, frankly, I was excited to see They
2: it. would have showed up. But I think they just looked at the writing on the wall. And, again, it's one of those things where they did the X's and O's and were like, eh, we're not going to win this. And I don't think they wanted that – You know, I don't think they wanted a direct correlation for the journalists to talk about on Monday – who had better attendance? And, be like, and you know, then everybody starts talking about the sale, and now all of a sudden, now some Bellator beats UFC. Is this the beginning of the end or the changing of the guard? And I think all those conversations, they'd rather just to go ahead and keep silent by not directly competing on a day-to-day basis. And look. yeah, PO...
1: PR wise, there was a few unnecessary risks that they were taking.
0: And let's not forget, for the real adrenaline junkies, uh, with this Bellator card, there's the the added excitement of uh, navigating the drive to the forum. Uh, that that can be really interesting, uh, uh, depending on which route you take. We, uh, I had my girlfriend drop me off there for the last UFC card, and we're, we're about a couple of blocks from the forum jail, and she looks at me and she goes. I've heard these streets quoted in rap songs. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, true. All right. A cannot miss uh, podcast for me is You're Welcome with Chell Sonnen. That thing is going gangbusters. And uh, if you're not there, there's two podcasts you need to not miss every week. And it's uh, You're Welcome with Chell Sonnen and, of course, our phone booth fighting podcast. Uh, Real quick, I got to ask you, Chell, are you and your producer doing okay? Because every time I'm tuning into You're Welcome these days, it seems like there's a little bit of heat going on, a little bit of tension.
1: he drives, me, he drives me insane, and, and you know, so one day he, he, he comes in for about two months and he listens, and then one day he, ta- he sits in the chair at the table, and one day he learns how to put the headset on, and then one day he, he learns how to turn the microphone on, and then one day he starts talking. And he, I think he got about got two sentences in, and that was a good couple of weeks went by, he got another couple of sentences in, and now all of a sudden he's he's a fixture in the show, he's absolutely terrible at it, and I like it, this isn't even meant to be an insult. He's a friend of mine. But, I mean, just because, look, I'm friends with Frank Mir. I'm friends with Frank Mir. If I need open heart surgery, Frank's not doing it. It, it, Right? There's just some things that, even if you like a guy, that he's not cut out to do. And this is one of them. But the numbers don't lie. As, As much as this guy's an imbecile, people are tuning in to hear him. And I listen to him and go, this is a disaster. This is, you're ruining the product. But, I mean, the son of a bitch gets ratings. So, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. And I'm not kidding. I literally don't. I've asked people that have been in the space longer than me. I go, what do I do with this knucklehead? And they said, look, you got to keep, you know, keep the buffoon on. Keep the buffoon on until it runs its course. So I'm stuck with him. I mean, he comes to – he stinks. Some days he doesn't even shower. I, I bought him – this wasn't even part of our show. This was just being – I went and bought yeah. him mouthwash, but like this really high-grade mouthwash – that you have to order online you oh. can't even buy it in the stores yeah and then i said to him i said man Industrial the thing problems. for that mouthwash to work i said joel you have to take it for it to work you have to put it in your mouth and gargle and <laughs> it you know it, it, what i have to go through. it's unbelievable that, that what i will do oh. for a dollar i mean it's, it really is
0: that is genius that is why i love uh, your welcome with chel Sonnen. all right Chell, and we've taken up a lot of time tonight as we always do but hey it's your own fault for being so damn engaging Okay. All right, gentlemen. I appreciate you guys. Keep up the good work. We will be tuned in Sunday for uh, Flow Grappling's uh, Chail Sonnen's Submission Underground Part 2, 2.30 p.m. Pacific, flowgrappling.com.
2: <sighs> I think he hung up.
0: He always does. <laughs> That's what he always does. He doesn't wait around for you to say, okay, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you. it's not like uh, high school when you're talking to a girl on the phone. Chael's out. He's got other places to uh, to be. On to the next one. Yeah, on to the next one. That's right. Man, that guy delivers every time. And, and the thing is, we're, we got him on to talk about uh, Submission Underground, but how great was he riffing on his producer on the podcast that, that he hates? Yeah, man. A natural born uh, talent for uh, for for podcasting, in addition to just uh, matchmaking and and promoting in general. Frank, uh, it's a big weekend of fights. There's a lot going on. Uh, first of all, uh, putting uh, probably priorities where priorities are due. Uh, all of a sudden, there is an interim UFC featherweight title on the line Saturday night on pay per view, UFC 206 from Toronto is going to feature Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis fighting for the, the belt that, well, I guess it's the belt that featherweight interim champion Jose Aldo has vacated because he has now had Conor McGregor's undisputed title bestowed on him. We tried to make sense of all that uh, on our last episode. But nonetheless, because uh, Daniel Cormier falls out to injury, he will not be fighting Anthony Johnson in their rematch. So we get Pettis and Holloway as a main event. Uh, what do you think?
2: I think it's uh, well, like you said last time, we talked about this. It's strange. I liked your layout a lot better. They should have stripped Aldo. And uh, I mean, because now Connor's not in the conversation. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, and why would you not have Connor, who's the biggest you know cash cow the UFC has? Why would you, I mean, I would want to figure out a way to make him in the conversation for heavyweights. I mean, like every weight class (laughs) I could possibly, (laughs) anytime, I mean, I could fit his name in somewhere. I would think that if I ran the company, that's what I would try to do. It's like, hey, strike while the iron's hot. And, you know, right now the guy's, you know, he's on fire. And so by stripping him, now you're making a tour. Okay, these two are going to fight. And then obviously as a journalist, they're going to go through and ask, okay, so, you know, the winner is going to fight Jose Aldo. Mm-hmm. And, and people didn't care about Jose Aldo as much. I mean, hardcore fans, I mean, I think he's still one of the best fighters in the world. Ton of respect for him. I mean, he bounced back phenomenally against Frankie Edgar. But as far as a pay per view selling juggernaut, he never was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're going to have, you know, Pettis, let's say Pettis wins, uh, a Pettis versus Connor to unify the belts. Man, that's super intriguing. You know, I mean, if Holloway wins, well, now you have a rematch. You know, uh, of unifying the belts. That's super intriguing with Connor involved. uh, By not having Connor, it's, uh, I think they just, they lost so much steam. I mean, I just, uh, like you said, I mean, they must just want to not give Connor that kind of power, more power than he already has because of him saying he wants to be partial owner of the uh, company, to have ownership or have stake in the company. And I, I just, it just, baffles me i mean and you had such like you said i mean you called it i mean as you were talking i'm looking at you i'm like going man they need to hire you because you're right jose talked himself out of being you know how easy to strip the guy because you say well the guy told us he wants to retire yeah like i mean no you basically put the ball in his court where he has to. well i changed my mind Well, okay. Well, I mean, but you said you, you didn't want to be with us anymore. So we now, you know, we stripped you of the title. Well, what about Connor? Well, Connor's been busy. He's been fighting, just not in the weight class. And there hasn't really been a precedence before about a guy, you know, really holding two belts in the UFC. But that then again, it's, he's not injured and he hasn't been inactive. He just hasn't been active in the weight class. And the guy didn't say he wanted to retire. (laughs) And so, uh, I don't know. Uh, as far as the fight goes, um, I keep thinking about it because Pettis has always been a real intriguing fighter to me. And I think in the past we always talked about possibly the wrestling aspect is what uh, caused him to lose fights. And then you know, and then you know he loses uh, you know three in a row at one fifty five, and it wasn't to wrestlers. And now I'm starting to think, I think Pettis is just a quick twitch fiber athlete. I mean, not that I think I, I know he is. He's very explosive. His submissions are explosive. His striking's explosive. He's quick. I just don't think that he does well under a high-paced match. I think about it when I look at his losses, most of his losses come from high-paced matches.:
0: Edson Barbosa, Eddie Alvarez, Rafael dos Sanjos.:
2: Those are high-paced matches. Yeah. All three of those guys, you know,, uh, uh, you know um, Eddie Alvarez is known for being a grinder. Mm-hmm. You know, he got taken out by Connor, but, you know, if he survives, he comes after you. He's been in, you know, fights of the year type, you know, brawls because the guy's a grinder. Eddie Alvarez, or excuse me, uh, you know, Edson Barbosa, extremely active. The guy's switching stance, spin kicks, he's coming after you. The guy's not stopping moving. And Rafael is that guy's really busy, you know, and so I think that that's uh, was what was basically the nail in the coffin for him. And then if we watched his fight at 45 when he first went down, there was a time there were. It looked like he took a whole round off, if I remember correctly. Uh, You know, he came out strong, looking good. In the second round, it almost looked like, uh, who was he fighting again? Um,
0: Charles Oliveira. uh,
2: Charles Oliveira was making a comeback. Right. Right, and and I don't know now, looking back, and I was like, okay, was he making a comeback? Because, I mean, obviously Charles Oliveira is good, but it was more or less because Pettis wasn't, able to keep the pressure on him. It was almost like he exploded, had a great first round, and then all of a sudden now he's taking a break and letting him come back. And so at first when this fight was first mentioned, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, Max Holloway has his hands full. You know, Pettis looks, you know, I'm like, I don't know, Holloway is a very scrappy, active, busy fighter, and, um, you know, if Pettis goes out and wins the first round, I mean, that's five rounds he has to keep up at a high pace. And, again, Pettis is so explosive as a striker that usually slows people down. They don't want to just run at the guy because, you know, he switches stance, elusive footwork, and then when he when he does hit you, yeah. he hits you hard. And from different angles, his kicks, I mean, he knocked out, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's his name, um, fight of the night guy all the time at 155. Who are you talking about? Henderson? No. Uh, um, no, he armbarred Anderson. Yeah. Very explosive move on that part. Uh, Joe Lozan. Oh, right? Right, right. Boom, right, Yeah. You know, one just kicked, you know, flew up fast. Yeah. Very explosive. So that's usually why I think guys in the past have not grinded on him. And, and the first guy we've seen really do that was uh, uh, Clay Guida. But Clay mm-hmm. Guida has a grinding style. Is probably the king of the grind lighter weight yeah. classes of being busy. And I think that that's what is scary for Pettis. So if Holloway comes out and respects Pettis uh, too much, I think Pettis is able to win that fight e- easily then. But I think that if he comes out there and puts Pettis in a war, uh, if I'm watching the fight and I'm, I'm uh, wearing a Pettis t-shirt, and if I see them in a brawl and he doesn't put Max away, then I think that uh, you know going into rounds three and four, I think Pettis is in trouble. I, I think that that's the thing he has a problem with. I think that... He just doesn't have – it's not that he doesn't have a gas tank. Obviously, the guy trains hard. But, I mean, some guys are milers. Some guys are marathon runners. Some guys are 100-meter sprinters. You know, there's different genetic yeah. makes-up everybody has. And I don't care how much you train. Um, some people are just not built to run a four-and-a-half-minute mile. Some people will never run a sub-11-second 100 meters. It just sometimes it's just you know what you're born with, and that's a great thing about martial arts and fighting. Is you you know okay? Well, my reach is you know you know John Jones's reach. He can capitalize that and 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 utilize it. You know, some guys you know you you try to you know accentuate your strengths and hide your weaknesses, and uh, but you know sometimes again the cards you're dealt with styles make fights is an expression people use, and I think very rightfully so. If if you're able to put you know Pettis in a brawl. And I think that that, that's the best, that's the key to victory. And that's not easy being said. I mean, it's not just plain, you know, it's not, we're not binary ones and zeros and just, okay, this is easy. Obviously, the guy hits hard and he's a real legitimate black belt in jiu jitsu, especially when it comes to MMA style jiu jitsu. I mean, the guy arm bars, uh, you know, Benson Henderson. He choked out uh, um, uh, the guy, the kid over uh, California. uh, Man, why am I so bad with names in memory? I've been hitting the headway too much.
0: You're talking about uh, Pettis?
2: Yeah, who did he uh, guillotine choke? He was on the show against him. California. Yeah, he's Jake Shields' teammate. Oh, Gilbert Melinda. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Gilbert Melinda. Okay. Melendez. Yes, yes, yes. You <laughs> well, said the what shit. You?
0: you said okay, yeah, yeah, really. What's my excuse? Okay. Yeah, when they coach against each other on the show, okay. <laughs> it is like these clues you This is like $20,000 pyramid. He's from California. Uh uh Yeah, like I said
2: uh, that's like looking for uh the, the dancer, the blonde with the big girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. All right. I got you now. Okay.
2: So that being said, I mean, he's dangerous to try to attack. Yeah. Um but you have to just you have you can't beat him by sitting back and playing tit for tat. He's explosive. He's too too slick of a fighter. I think if you put him in a brawl, which Max Holloway is very capable of doing, I think that uh, that's the key to victory. So I think it just it, it kind of depends on which guy is able to really pull off what they're good at. If Max, again, a lot of it actually is kind of on Max Holloway. If he respects him too much, I think that's – hardest path to victory i Mm -hmm. don't really see him fighting a slow-paced technical fight and beating pettis i see him putting him in a war which that kind of is on him to choose if he chooses the war not that he still doesn't get knocked out possibly because pettis is still you know very explosive striker and or even possibly submitted finished because i mean he's finished high-level guys in the past but I, i see more of a key to victory that way
0: yeah, and to, to your point about uh, about uh, Holloway being in for the long haul, this guy is on a nine fight win streak, and none of those decisions have been splits. Uh, wait a second let me let me correct myself. He's he's gone to decision uh, three times, three times rather, but all three of those decisions. Have been unanimous decisions, so no question there as to uh, at least in the judge's mind who won it. You know he's when he not when he took them deep. Basically. Yeah,
2: he's not winning the first round, taking a break and then coming back in right. the third, or vice versa, winning the first two and and, and, and cruising in on the last one. And uh, again, like I said, uh, uh, that's what I always thought about Pettis. I always thought maybe it was the wrestling aspect, but then you see him armbar and submit. I'm like, wow, oh, it's pretty high level jiu-jitsu. And I'm like, ah, I think it's the activity aspect. I mm-hmm. think the busy fighters. Give him a hard time if he doesn't put them away.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh who do you like in the fight? I I'm uh I'm leaning Holloway here.
2: Yeah, it's kinda of hard not to bet on Holloway because since Pettis first lost his first fight, you know, or not his first fight, but when he lost the title and he went on that streak and even his fight against Charles Oliveira did not look Phenomenal. I mean, it looked good, but it wasn't like, oh, okay, well, now he's found his weight class. Mm-hmm. I think that the last couple of fights, Pettis just still just doesn't look as as uh, of a world beater as he appeared there for a while. I mean, there were, he put a couple wins together as the champion at lightweight, that it looked like you know definitely in the conversation for now for pound for pound, and uh, that Pettis just hasn't been around, and and so you uh, know I'm kind of with you. I think I'm kind of leaning towards Holloway too.
0: Also, while I think Pettis looked. Fine at uh, featherweight against Charles Oliveira. This wasn't an issue of a fighter needing to go to his true weight class. This was one of those situations where it's a fighter sort of trying to hit the reset button. Yeah, he was reinventing
2: himself. Yeah, no, and there's giving no- people a new reason to go ahead and oh, well, now yeah. in a different weight class.
0: And not that there's there's anything wrong with that, but I just think it's it's evidence that whenever you see someone do that. It's not like you put that over in the advantage column saying, oh, well, now they're going like like Demetrius once the flyweight division was right, created. Right, the or guy was like screaming
2: that. to be in a lower class weight. You know, like, right. You're right. Demetrius the greatest example of that. The guy still barely cuts to make uh, flyweight. Right. Um, the guy when he walks around 135 pounds. And so uh, you're right. In fact, actually, I, I remember... Uh, you and I talking about the Charles O'Leary fight. You know what would he be like? Because no one really said that Pettis was a small lightweight to begin with. Right. I was actually pretty impressed that he was able to cut down another. I mean, ten pounds at that weight is a very large percentage of their body. Um, you know, making that difference. And so we were curious on how he'd recover and, and how he would do well. And and for me, also putting in the fact that I, you know I've always kind of questioned his ability, the stamina. And again, I don't want that to be a knock. People think because I think sometimes people think conditioning is completely in your control. And obviously becoming the best in shape that you are capable of is within your control. But stamina, like speed and strength, are limited by genetics. And so I don't think that Pettis is genetically a great stamina fighter. I just, he does, you know, again, some guys, you know, they train hard, they can bench press 400 pounds. There are Many men in the world that I don't care what you put in them, how much they sleep, how much they eat, who they train with, they can quit their job for the next two years, are never going to bench press 400 pounds. They Mm -hmm. are just genetically incapable of accomplishing that feat. Nothing to be said about it. And a negative is just like, you know, you got to deal with the cards you're dealt with. And so, uh, you know, Pettis, again, his stamina was, I draw into question. And now we're going to add on the fact that he's making such a hard weight cut. That you're like you said, he wasn't. It wasn't like he was losing fights at lightweight. Going man, if this guy only, you know, he's a tweener where it's like, well, you know, he's really not a full size lightweight. Like, well, Frankie Edgar, we always had those conversations about Frankie Edgar when he was a lightweight champ, made it so much more impressive that no one felt that that he was a true lightweight. Which you know, the guy walked. I think he could weigh in with his jeans and change in his pocket and still made weight.
0: And out of this nine fight win streak that uh, Holloway is on, he's been to the third round six times. He's won every time. Three of them were decisions. The other three were finishes, but they happened in the third round. So this guy on paper has, I, I think, a high advantage yeah, in in the stamina And his
2: personality. He's, I don't see, even if for whatever reason he came out cautious, and I guess the more I'm talking, the more I'm thinking that I, I will bet with Holloway, if he gets tagged by Pettis, He's the kind of guy that even if for whatever reason, if they came out with a game plan to start slow and feel him out, he's not the kind of guy that that's going to happen with. I mean, if that's the case, then you better hope Pettis' corner says, "Hey, don't wake him up." Yeah. If he's going to come out and sleepwalk, then you know, hit him with a couple jabs, maybe you know, foot trip him down. Let's just barely beat him. Let's not make the guy realize he's losing because he likes wars. He's just that kind of personality that he's going to get gritty.
0: I also wonder I heard our uh, friends George and goes over on m uh, m a junkie radio point this out earlier this week, but let's not forget that uh not too long ago somebody set Anthony Pettis's cars on fire in his driveway. you know you know they still haven't figured out exactly uh, uh they they I don't think there's any conclusion to that investigation or anything, and the way George put it uh People want to set your car on fire by accident, like you know. Wow. <laughs> there may have been, there may, there may be a. you know a, the first thing
2: that crossed my mind. Yeah. Yeah, there's a woman involved.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was dating uh, uh, Left Eye Lopez. is yeah, that, that uh, that's
2: something like you know, like a guy doesn't like you. He knocks on the front door and he yeah. punches you in the face. A girl doesn't like you, and your your oil and your cars uh, leaking out, and uh, sugar in the gas tank. Right,
0: cars get lit
2: on fire.
0: <laughs> you know, I always think about that. Do you know that uh, that is, is it? Carrie Underwood that sings that song about the guy cheating on her and he that's it right Mrs. Mears giving me the nod and the whole song is I slashed his tires and I, I poured bleach on his in leather interior and I did this and I did that and he'll think twice next time and I hear that sign I think listen not excusing his behavior but I think a byproduct of this happening is he's probably better off not dating this crazy person so I <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's best these two people are not procreating, if they haven't already. True. Co-main event, Frank. Uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone and Matt the Immortal Brown. Boy, you talk about two fighters cut from the same cloth. How about this one?
2: Yeah, I'm going with Cowboy. Uh, you know what? He just uh, He's the better striker. Um, he's better at jujitsu, uh, you know, and then wrestling back and forth. I mean, he might even have a slight edge there. I think the, uh, Matt Brown is a, as a tough guy and he's going to come forward and make it an exciting fight. But I just think that, uh, you know, Donald skill wise, you know, he's just on a different level than most guys right now in the UFC. I mean, his striking, if you just look at his pure combinations that he throws, um, i don 't know if I can think off the top of my head anybody who throws better combinations mm-hmm. can you I mean right off the bat, I mean even Demetrius Johnson, who is in my opinion, the pound for pound champ, you know, and then Dominic Cruz is probably a real close you know second him with John Jones all kind of in that, in that, in that uh, uh, group mm-hmm. but n- even if you say there there 's the top three guys I can think of in the world as far as pound for pound. None of them throw strikes and combinations and angles and footwork that Donald has. I mean, Cowboy just has the best, most explosive offense, I think, in uh, in all of MMA as far as, you know, if, if you're watching, you're like, hey, I, I might not be the strongest guy, the fastest guy, but you want to just train hard and be extremely skilled and learn angles and combinations and there's
0: your guy. Yeah, no, I think uh, – y- 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 sh- you bring that up, and the, the, the visual that I get in my head with Cowboy Cerrone and combinations is that I'm hard-pressed to think of anybody who makes opportunity count for more than he does. So when he's got that second or two where he's closed the distance, you know, and he's he's in your danger zone, he is a guy who, anecdotally, just off the top of my head, I I've seem to have a lot of recurring images of, of you know him landing three or four whereas a lot of fighters would be happy to get out with one or two
2: yeah he just doesn't he he doesn't stop throwing until basically you fall out Mm -hmm. Uh, you know he keeps throwing combinations to your legs to the head to the body uh you know until basically you buckle in front of him and then that's when he stops throwing um you know his ability to close distance and footwork and now he's really added a takedown aspect to his game mm-hmm. that you know i think is only brought into the other element that his jujitsu's always been extremely high level i mean the guy had a ton of finishes i think he's had more finishes in his career almost the knockouts uh as far as maybe not ufc career but as far as overall mma career um his triangle from the bottom is pretty menacing uh, yeah uh and, and but I think that because his wrestling aspect wasn't a strong suit of his game, stands with his feet kind of close together, uh, his jiu-jitsu kind of could get taken out of the equation. And now the fact, I mean, he's putting down uh, some very large welterweights and, and able to take them down, and, and now he adds a whole other element. So now they can't just sit there and worry about his strikes. He can change levels and put them on their back, and he's dangerous from there. He's, uh, you know, he's got good ground and pound, and you know, his submissions are uh, top-notch.
0: Uh, Matt Brown throwing a little, uh, a little trash talk Donald Cowboy Cerrone's way, uh, in the, uh, press build up to, to the fights on Saturday, uh, this from MMA junkie, uh, Matt Brown said, quote, his whole thing, meaning Donald Cerrone, his whole thing is just based on lies and a lot of people fall into that. Uh, but I ain't fallen into it. Uh, He continued, uh, most of my opponents I'm real respectful to, and I think they're real respectful to me. I don't know if he means it or not. I don't know if he's just a douchebag of a person, but I get the feeling that when he's talking to other people, especially other fighters, that he feels like he's above other people, and he's kind of a bully. Well... I'm not another fighter, but I'm another person, and I've always had very pleasant conversations with him.
2: Yeah, I've actually been on a couple rides with Donald, and you know, he and I are the only fighters in the group. Yeah, and uh, he's never made any of my friends or family members feel uh, bad. Uh, but again, I've never also signed a piece of paper to say that we're going to fight each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that probably goes for a lot, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, Donald's competitive, and uh, you know, and that also true. I mean. Uh, Who knows if Matt really is thinking that or if it's just another way to sell fights, uh, you know, to bring up some kind of animosity. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, I I personally don't see that. But uh, again, you know, I'm not fighting him on Saturday. So,
0: yeah, both, both. And I don't uh, I've I've interviewed both of them. I've, I've I've had lengthier conversations with Donald. You don't say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you
2: mean you haven't had lengthy conversations with Matt? Well,
0: actually, it's interesting because oh, wait,
2: but you have had some. Yes, I have. See, Let me, tell I, you I don't think I've I've hung out with Matt a couple times in the gym and been around yeah. him. and if I've had, if I've said two words to him, I would, you know, I'd be probably exaggerating.
0: Well, here's the here's the commonality that I have with these two guys. Both of these guys play two different sides of my musical persona. Because Matt Brown loves heavy metal, and I do as well, and so we like to talk about metal bands that we like. Cowboy Cerrone and I both share a love of old-school country music. And bluegrass, right? And bluegrass, so we have that conversation uh, Wasn't
2: together. was Matt Brown, isn't there a, some kind of, here goes the concussion syndrome mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. There is some kind of story of Matt Brown and being... Music or something? What? Well,
0: yeah. Um, he's a uh, he's a guitar player, right? And, you know, but, wasn't but, he somewhere when yeah. an
2: event happened? Or? Yeah.
0: It and I have never confirmed this with Matt Brown. I've just seen it written uh, on the internet. So uh we we should it must be true yeah exactly so uh that's enough for me to vote for him for president uh but we uh we should probably i some point when we talk to him i'd love to hear him tell the story is if if this is uh, in fact true uh it has been posted online that he was in the audience in Columbus, Ohio, uh, the area, of the country that he's from, when Dimebag Daryl, oh, formerly of Pantera, when that
2: maniac ran was, up on the okay. killed him on
0: stage. And do you know, Frank? It's uh, very interesting that you bring that up because as we tape, that murder happened 12 years ago tonight. Wow. Yeah, this is the anniversary of it, it. Could have
2: been better if I set that up. Huh?
0: No, it couldn't have been. But you had no idea. Yeah, I've seen that on there, and I've never asked, and I had a chance Wait to a minute, ask. How many that years about ago? That 12 years ago tonight. Wow. Yeah. I'll tell you, uh, just quick aside on this before we get back into Fight Talk, but uh, I, as our listeners know, am from the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Pantera uh, is from Arlington, Texas, which is right between Dallas and Fort Worth. Uh, that's where the Cowboys stadium is nowadays. And uh, Daryl dimebag, Daryl Abbott and his brother Vinnie Paul Abbott, the drummer in Pantera, grew up in Arlington, Texas, and they never left Arlington, Texas. They just they became huge rock stars, but they they always lived there. And so growing up there, we're all close to the same age, so I would see them around quite a bit. They're only a few years older than me. And so I had uh, gotten to know those guys. Vinny listened to my radio show. Uh, he was a big listener. He liked sports talk and so he was a big listener on my radio station. But you'd see uh Dimebag Daryl out a lot and they were just the nicest guys. Yeah, I, I mean, remember you talking when we talked about Just Absolutely the cool guy. Just always felt like guys you'd grown up with that, you know, had this really cool band but they had never changed and they were always the same guys. And you know, Vinny and I to this day, you met Vinny at yeah. uh, our he came out to our one of our live podcast tapings because he lives here in Vegas I think on my stand-up. That's right. He's That's right. right. Vinny Paul saw your uh, stand-up debut. He was by far uh the most famous non-fighter in the room, Absolutely. I think, to yeah. uh see your stand-up debut. But um he's an awesome guy and he lives out here in Vegas now, so I, I get to see him pretty regularly too. But uh it, it's just in, in the story if if you don't know it, you can Google it cuz it's uh, it's a pretty infamous story, mm-hmm. but 12 years ago tonight, you can um, YouTube it. Yeah, those, yep, yep. Dimebag Daryl and uh, Vinnie Paul Abbott were playing in their band Damage Plan, the band they put together after Pantera in Columbus, Ohio, and a deranged fan climbed on stage and uh, just gunned down uh, Dimebag Daryl, point-blank range, and killed uh, Mayhem, their uh, security guy, as well. And I noticed today on uh, Vinnie's Instagram he had posted a picture of both of them. They've always been uh, very um, – insistent on the whole, you know, Camp, the survivors of making sure that they always put Mayhem's picture right with uh, so Dimebag Daryl. Yeah, exactly. Because it's one of those things when somebody that's super famous, you know, is one of two people killed. But
2: there's still somebody's children, so.
0: Well, and also that guy uh, basically took the bullet that he was trying to wrestle the gun away from the guy who had it. That's how he got killed. Because
2: wasn't he going for Vinny after that? Yeah. He shot Dimebag, right, right. turned and faced Vinny, who's on yeah. the drums, and he was going to run him over.
0: Right. And, and he would more people would have been killed if it hadn't been for this guy's sacrifice so and then
2: who was the other uh, band member that basically also kind of jumped in on him he had him by the neck right?
0: he got a hold of one of their guitar techs yeah, yeah. that that and the, the cop shows up comes in the back door and kills the shooter while he's got the the guitar tech in a basically yeah, like a choke, choke with a gun yeah. To his head, yeah yeah and so just a, just a horrific thing and 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 it could it could not have happened to two nicer people. I mean, that's the tragedy upon tragedy is uh, what great guys they were. And fortunately for Vinny, you know, knowing him as I do today, uh, it has – you know all, although obviously it irreversibly affects you it hasn't ruined him you know he's come back he's got a great band now hell yeah and he's well, back if, out I there mean, playing he and,
2: did have a hard time right didn't you say it was about a year or oh, two yeah, before yeah, he, he don't, even he went outdoors yeah,
0: because as you can imagine think about like if you've only done one thing your whole life as they did play music uh you know if you think about like maybe all you've ever done you know professionally speaking would be like say being a My fighter arts. but not o- <laughs> right but not only a martial artist but imagine if every time you entered the cage in the your brother's in the corner right. right and and being having to go and and seeing him killed right in front of you yeah. in the cage how about i mean you see what i'm saying like it's like talk about returning to the the scene of the crime now, metaphorically. i think most
2: people would not have returned i think that's right. pretty uh, commendable of him to be able to jump back on that horse cause yeah I wouldn't have faulted him. I don't think many people would have been like, "Look, guys, music's kind of dead for me." I think you know, like it's something that me and my brother did, you know, as kids growing up, and we did it our whole life, our whole adult life we spent together, and you know, and you know, while we were playing together, my brother's got shot down before my eyes. Uh, Music's no longer for me. You know, I I wouldn't have ever. you know, uh, abolished him for that. You know,
0: yeah. Vinny will tell you that that you know what ultimately got him out of that was that um, he knew that you know his that 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 Daryl would want him to play you know people always say that kind of stuff but he he really knew it you know he really knew that especially when the right opportunity came along uh the guys he was the last one into hell yeah this band that he's got together now and basically the whole rest of the band had formed they came to him to talk to him about playing and as difficult as it was for him to think about doing it again he said uh you know that at that point, he, he really sort of felt Daryl's presence, and he would be like, What do you mean you're not going to play anymore? You know, uh, cool. you got to get back out there. Yeah. Uh, that
2: kind of makes my face sting a little bit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. We will, you know what? We'll get Vinny on the on phone booth fighting uh, one time. We'll get him to co host an episode with us. He's a great guy. Yeah. And uh, not just for, you know, rock talk, but he's a big, he's very excited about the hockey team coming to town.
2: Well, you know what? I admire people that can be thrust with fame and money and not become assholes. Yeah. Cause I mean, really, I mean, I agree. you know, there's some people out there, you know, he's a good guy, you know, I'm like, well, the guys grinded his whole life, you know, of course he's a good guy. But sometimes I think it's like, well, give that person some fame, give yeah. them some money and we're really going to see what they're made out of. It's almost kind of like, you know, like, you know, uh, let's make you a God and see what kind of a person you are. And obviously, I mean, not God, like, you know, at all levels of fame and, and fortune. But you really get to, I mean, hell, our whole media is basically, <laughs> I think 60% of all the news is founded upon people that are rich and famous and who act like complete douchebags yeah. and we tune on to watch their downfall. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so anybody who, can, I mean, come on, I mean, party like a rock star comes from somewhere. So for the guy Vinny, when I shook his hand and met him, we looked you know, and, and got to speak to him for a few minutes, for him to be a cool guy and for you, obviously, hung out with him much more to validate that, you know that says something it's like all right the guy has money you know women fame you know he could be an asshole and you're surprised how often i mean i see guys now you know in the gym and you know i knew the guy before he became famous and then they become famous and you kind of see a little bit of a shift in personalities where you're like oh man i really didn't know you were kind of a little bit of a douche there buddy uh Wow, you know, you were humble because you had nothing, and now that you have something, that humility is out the window.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, and that's why uh, you know uh, uh, I'm going to be a uh, an atheist fish out of water here, quoting biblical verse. But I will tell you that one of the concepts, one of the biblical concepts that I have always liked is the idea of uh, it being more difficult for the camel to, or for the, yes. easier for the camel to get through the eye of the needle than the rich man to get into heaven. Like, I, I like the concept of that, because what that means to me is that um, it is, you know, money, money tests your character in that way. And uh, it, the, the, the wealthy people and the famous people that I have met who are not abhorrent, uh, I look at them and I usually think two things. Number one, oh, this is this is a nice life they got for themselves. And usually the second thing I think is, hmm, I'll bet they could have had even more wealth and even a bigger house and even more material things if they were really uh unethical people. Yeah. You know? And usually because their character was tested somewhere along the way and they they maintain that, that you know, level of common decency, they struck the right balance.
2: I think the best analogy to break it down to is when I see somebody in America, in the U.S., mm-hmm. who's trim and in shape, mm-hmm. right? That's respectable because you can't turn the television on. You can't walk down the street, you know, without seeing a food for an ad or walking past a fast food place. Mm-hmm. Uh, food is readily available to us and even to the poorest of us, you're going to have food. I mean, even homeless people have access to shelters and food stores where they could just go in and eat whatever they want, you know. Mm-hmm. And so being thin when you have that. Exposure to food is the equivalent of saying, hey, you're a nice guy while you're rich and famous compared to somebody in Darfur, Africa, who at that point, like, oh, look, he's really trim. I'm like, well, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah. (laughs) He hasn't eaten for like two weeks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's you know, like a poor man being humble. It's like, well, right. yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to be humble or, you know, be arrogant and be yeah. dirt poor homeless guy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, not no, a whole lot a of reasons to be arrogant, you know,
0: it's uh, uh, the, you know, just speaking to the, um, you know, the being in touch with with their roots, uh, Vinnie Paul and uh, and Dimebag Darrell, their house, Dimebag's house in Arlington is it looked like, it looked like your first apartment, if your first apartment was on five acres of land and was, you know, 10,000 square feet, like it was a very nice place, but he immediately injected that kind of teenage clubhouse feel to it, you know, and that's just how he wanted it, you know, his buddies had spare rooms off to the side and there's you know, kiss pinball machines in the living room and all that sort of thing. And to this day, Vinnie Paul's house is exactly like that. It's exactly the same way. Uh, when I went over here, uh, when he had moved to Vegas, I moved to Vegas and, and I went to, he does a, like a, a regular pool party during the summer. And, uh, went over, I think I told this story a couple of months ago on the podcast, but, um, I went over there and, uh, uh, Jennifer, my girlfriend, met me over there. She was working, so she met me over there when she got off work, and I met her down at the end of the driveway, because uh, she, she hadn't been there before. And, and I, before we went in, I said, I know you never went to Dimebag's house, but this looks exactly like it. I mean, just, you know, like, paraffin, just, just, Weird stuff, just hanging for, like a fraternity house, just yeah. like a a, a fraternity. You house. Show me
2: the pictures. You're right.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I showed you. I do you Yeah, that's right. I would say post yeah. them for
2: our listeners, but he <laughs> well, might get the uh, our Instagram shut down. <laughs> we'll, we'll do better than that.
0: We'll get Vinny Paul to uh, co-host an episode with us. We may even go over there to his house if he'll. I'm sure, he'd love to have us over there uh, uh, once he gets off tour with Hell yeah, and we'll do phone booth fighting from over there, and he can uh, do justice to some of these stories. All right, back to fighting frank uh, so that's ufc 206 we've talked to chel sunnan about uh his submission underground second edition that's going to be going down on sunday friday night though uh tomorrow night as we tape maybe tonight as you're listening to this Uh, The Black Beast, Derek Lewis, is going to headline a fight night card all his own up in uh, Albany, New York. He is going to be taking on Shamil Abderakhamonov, Abdurakhimov. I'm, I'm having I'm I'm having Frank Mir levels of trouble pronouncing uh, we'll stick this name. to Shamil, <laughs> yeah, Shamil uh, Let's uh, let's see how uh, how how uh, well Derek Lewis can pronounce it because a little bit earlier I had a chance to catch up with him. Here's my phone conversation with the number ten ranked UFC heavyweight at the moment, Derek the Black Beast Lewis. Richard Hunter being joined now by one of the heavyweights is going to be headlining a fight night card this Friday night in Albany. It is the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. Derek, uh, welcome to the show. How you doing, man?
3: I'm doing lovely, man. How you
0: doing? Great. Yeah, it's exciting to talk to you. You know, I was, I was looking at your – I was thinking about the number of times that I have seen you fight in the UFC – in just a couple of years, and it's deceiving because with the number of times you fought, I it feels like you've been in the UFC a lot longer than you have. I think I counted up like nine fights in in just about two and a half years. You're like the you're like the cowboy Cerrone of the heavyweight division. Uh, uh, was that by design? Uh, do, do you like that kind of uh, frequency of fights, or you just take what's offered to you? You
3: know, I love I love fighting. You know, I wish I could fight more often than. What I have been, you know, my last fight was in July. I'm trying to fight again in, like, a unit month, like a month after that in the Philippines, but the car fell apart. And so I, I love the fans. So hopefully they can get me every other month. Uh, they can be that guy. Yeah, like
0: Donna Cerrone, call me anytime, and I'll be ready to fight. Well, one thing that obviously helps you is you like to finish these fights quickly. Uh, every fight you've had in the UFC has ended by knockout, except your uh, your last one with... Roy Nelson now you're sitting ranked number 10 among the UFC heavyweights your opponent uh uh Shamil abdura uh is ranked number 15. let's start there Derek he's only he's been knocked out once what do you think is going to be tougher for you knocking him out uh being the second person to knock him out or pronouncing his name like I just had a problem with what do you think's tougher of course his name you know, <laughs> I,
3: don't, I still don't um, you say akarakahima or something like that <laughs>
0: Close enough. <laughs> Close I think enough. he have a hard time saying it last night. <laughs> he very well might. Uh do do you think I mean when you see a guy's record like that, uh, you know, where he's had twenty fights, uh, uh just just like yourself and, and uh only being uh being KO'd once, you think that makes him tougher to knock out or you think it's just the fact he hadn't run into you yet?
3: Of course he haven't it to me. And plus, you know, he's fighting out there in Russia where the MMA scene is not really advanced like it is here in the States. And so he's fighting like lower class opponents, you know, they're really not high class high level opponents like it is here. So, um I'm really not looking past him or anything like that, but I believe I'll be his toughest opponent and and I'm looking at him like he's going to be one of my tough opponents too. That's why I always look at all my opponents like they're just going to be like the hardest fight at that time in my career.
0: Yeah, and you know, speaking uh, of of your path in the UFC, Derek, of course, legacy heavyweight champion, uh, and then uh, coming to the UFC. You know, one of the things that I always associate with you uh, since the right before the Reebok deal came into the UFC is you always had one of my favorite sponsors back before Reebok kicked in which was Mike seafood across the butt of your uh, trunks oh, yeah. and I always thought to myself I thought this is what I'm gonna miss about uh, the the Reebok era coming in <laughs> this is what's a bummer is the Mike seafoods of the world now I don't know any I am from Texas too but I'm from Dallas I don't know anything about Mike seafood but here's what I imagine Derek and you tell me if I'm wrong or not I imagine Mike seafood took care of you in a way like you could bring the whole Lewis family in in and there was like a big seafood buffet and stuff like that, and you were probably like their favorite fighter or something like that.
3: Yeah, for sure, and it's still, I still could do that now. You know, um, actually, that's the first thing I'm eating whenever I get back home because he just relocated to a better area Okay. Than closer to my house. So, like, he um, has like one of the best, some of the best crawfish I ever ate, and I'm from New Orleans. Yeah. So, uh, I'm have the best crawfish I ever ate in Texas. It's, it's a big Thompson farm.
0: So they're still taking care of you. That's good. Let me ask you about your Roy Nelson fight, because, you know, to me, this was a real proven ground of a fight. You beat Roy uh, by split decision. But, you know, that's one of those fights where, okay, you come into the UFC, you're knocking everybody out. Everybody thinks you look really good. But then the question starts to become, okay, we got to put him against really top talent. And you proved yourself in that uh, fight. How much of a learning experience was that fight for you compared to the other fights you'd had in the UFC up to that point?
3: Well, um, my guess is because, um, you know, he's a knockout artist like myself and, and I asked for fight. I wanted the fight; wanted to test myself, you know, just, to, um, better myself in my career and see what I need to work on. Cause I'm sure the UFC wanted to up slowly, but I'm always the one that I always wanted to push him to try to give me the best opponents that, that was out there at the time. And that was available. Um, you know, um, I guess what I learned from that fight is that no matter what the guy tell you, okay, we are, we're going to stand and trade, sling and bang or whatever, nine out of ten, they're not going to do it. And he went the complete opposite route and just kept trying to just take me down instead of just wanted to be an entertaining fight like we promised the fans to be. Yeah, You know, so it is what it is.
0: Well I think we're gonna get an entertaining one Friday night before I let you go I have to tell you Derek uh, I interview a lot of UFC fighters but uh, when I when I woke up this morning and told my girlfriend I was gonna interview you uh, I got a reaction that I've never gotten before she said oh I love his Instagram what do you think makes uh what, what do you think makes the beast UFC on Instagram such a such a hit she's apparently a huge fan <laughs>
3: Uh, I don't know, I'm just, it's part of my personality, you know, I guess since I like funny stuff, you know, um, just brighten up my day, brighten up other people's days too, you know, everyone else' day, you know, just, I guess you gotta have a sense of humor in some type of way in this sport.
0: Well, you can uh, you can follow Derek on Instagram like she does at and like I do as well at the Beast UFC. <laughs> no, you got a couple of uh, Instagram fans out there as well as a, as well as a couple of fans of your fights. And uh, he's going to be back in action this Friday, kicking off a huge card by the way. Saturday night uh, is the UFC pay per view in Toronto, so we got we got back to back UFC cards. Uh, Derek Lewis kicking it off right in the main event in Albany with Shamil Abdurakhim. Okay, I'm going to do it. Abdurakimov. I think that's pretty close. Abdurakimov. Just say it's abracadabra, abracadabra. Abracadabra. That's pretty good. That's that's the nickname yeah. he needs to uh, grab a hold of there. All right, Derek. Hey, it's a pleasure talking uh, to you, Russian man. Russian spy. Russians. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe uh, you you after you after you knock him out this weekend, you can suggest a nickname for him uh, to make him feel better. Uh, I got. You. Hey, listen, uh, it's a pleasure talking to you. Always enjoy watching you fight in there, man. So uh, uh, good to see you back in action this Friday, and uh look forward to speaking with you again at some point. Thanks for the time this morning. That was my conversation with Derek Lewis, uh, a guy who, and you heard me talk about this in the audio, Frank, a guy who's fought nine times in the last two and a half years. I mean, he's he's – he's been around enough now that you, you kind of, you know, you, you know, his face, obviously he's got himself in the top 10 of, uh, of heavyweights now, but that's a pretty impressive work rate, uh, for a heavyweight fighter. I, I said to him in the audio, I said, you're kind of the cowboy Cerrone of, uh, heavyweights here in the last couple of years. Yeah. There's
2: just, you know, one thing is just not as many heavyweights too. It takes two to tango right. so to, to get there and get nine fights in two and a half years. Uh, uh, it's not the easiest thing because getting other heavyweights to show up and be healthy, uh, you know, sometimes the stars have to align.
0: Yeah, this fight card is, you know, it's a it's a fight pass card, so you're going to be able to stream it exclusively on Fight Pass Friday night from Albany, and you know, it's it's a lighter card, uh, admittedly, in terms of uh, what they've got on the marquee. Um, well, I mean,
2: when's the last time even a fight pass has been headlined and Derek Lewis is somewhat known, I think, now, uh, mm-hmm. since his fight with Roy. Mm-hmm. But uh, the guy Shamil, um, mm-hmm. i got to be honest with you, until mm-hmm. we started talking about this fight,
4: mm-hmm. uh,
2: if he would have walked up to me in the street and said he was a UFC fighter, I would have had to have Googled it to not call him a liar.
0: Right, right. And he's somebody that, that in in theory, you could be working with. Yeah. you know what I mean yeah, and, and I, yeah. I gotta be honest with you I, just, <laughs> yeah. I had no clue yeah and uh, but you know this I think is also uh, part of the byproduct of uh, MMA now being sanctioned in New York you know they're wanting to get as many fights in that state as possible as frequently as possible now that makes a lot of sense I like the idea of doing it on a, a Friday night before a big Saturday night pay-per-view because in a way oh, yeah. in a way it's kind of like an extended version of the prelims yeah. you know uh, it's like a a two-for weekend. Uh, But that's not all of uh, the martial arts that's going on this weekend because uh, in addition to Chales Grappling, in addition to UFC 206, and then the UFC uh, Albany card, there's also going to be a Saturday afternoon glory kickboxing pay-per-view. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up. Uh, apart from the fact that it involves martial arts, and we talk martial arts on Phone Booth Fighting. This is going to be a $30 pay-per-view. I think it's Glory's... I don't know if it's their first attempt at doing a pay-per-view. I think it's certainly their first attempt at doing a pay-per-view since they have been in any way affiliated with UFC's Fight Pass. It's going to feature uh, a heavyweight title defense, Rico Van Hooven putting his uh, heavyweight title on the line against uh, the legendary Badr Hari but they're going to make it available for purchase on UFC's Fight Pass. So, it's like the UFC is selling a third-party item on Fight Pass directly before their UFC 206 pay-per-view. And I don't think it's necessarily competing. I think if I don't think there's going to be a lot of people Uh, buying the glory uh, pay-per-view and not buying UFC pay-per-view. If anything, it'll probably be people who are already going to buy UFC going ahead and buying both. Uh, But still though, it's kind of curious, right? I'm
2: going to, I would pose the question, does glory have more of an international following?
0: mm, Well, certainly in certain countries. So for example, I'm sure uh, they're going to sell more pay-per-views in the Netherlands, uh, right. with glory on Saturday than they will uh UFC so are you saying you think maybe that's strategy on the UFC? part True
2: maybe you know uh, I don't I can't think off the top of my head what cards are going to be in Europe uh, coming up but yeah. maybe a way to pull some of those viewers and you know obviously there's going to be uh 206 advertisements occurring during that fight if you know the UFC is going to be the third party you know uh, providing that um you would think that they're going to just try to shoe in some attention uh, and directly into their 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 promotion.
4: Yeah. Um, maybe
2: it's just a ploy for more international coverage, you know, because, you know, uh, there's a lot of places overseas where, you know, glory is very heavily followed.
0: Yeah. It's also always interesting when uh, an organization tries a pay-per-view when they don't regularly do them. And we saw Bellator do this a few years ago, you know, doing kind of the one-off, You know, uh, every once in a blue moon type of pay per view. Of course, Bellator hasn't gone back to that model since then. They've, you know, as we were talking to Chael about, I think they found their niche as, uh, you know, uh, a candidate for drawing solid ratings on free television. Kind of being
2: they so far. I think their ratings on free TV beat UFC's ratings, don't they? Yeah,
0: I mean some of these, you know, legends cards that they put together. I mean the the cards that Kimbo Slice was a part of did uh, did huge ratings. So was it was like two
2: point six or something you told me. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's just going to be interesting to see what, uh, what Glory is able to do in terms of pay-per-view. But you're right. I mean, this could – I was watching the Glory, uh, uh, the buildup for this card because I, I, I know the names. Um, I, like Nikki holskin is uh, one of their other champions over there. He's on the undercard, so it's not just all built around one fight. But, um, you know, like Badr I had not watched a lot of his fights. I think I'd seen him fight Overeem, but uh, uh, I just – you know i was going back and watching a lot of this stuff to to kind of get a feel for this fight coming up i
2: got to watch him live
0: oh you did yeah, when did both, you see him fight
2: uh in legends over there in uh, i was in italy mm-hmm. and uh uh i knew who he was at that point and actually it uh was i in italy or russia man i have watched him fight I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was in one of the countries over the other side yes <laughs> i think yes. it was italy yeah yeah. I have to go back and try to see if I can remember. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh I'd watched a bunch of his YouTube videos cuz he's a very skilled, uh, you know, heavyweight kickboxer and uh-huh. uh, tall guy and very great combinations and, and good hands and uh you know, somebody to watch to try to, you know, learn things from.
0: Mhm. Yeah, um, that's going to be Saturday on uh, pay per view. You can watch it on uh, Fight Pass for thirty bucks. All right, so lots on our plate to uh, tune into this weekend. Let's talk about what uh, there was to tune into last weekend because uh, I got to be uh, Octagon side for a big fight card here in um, in Las Vegas at the Pearl inside the Palms Casino for the Ultimate Fighter Live finale. Uh, Demetrius Johnson defended his flyweight title for uh, a record, uh, well, I'll say flyweight record eighth time. You know, he's one fight away from tying Anderson Silva's all-time title defense record with nine. So the next time he fights, there's going to be real historical implications on the line. And uh, as we go here, I'll drop in some uh, post-fight press conference audio as I was able to uh, get in some questions after the fight with uh, not only DJ, but uh, Joe Benavidez, Henry Cejudo, and uh, also Jorge Masvidal. But uh, Tim Elliott, I mean, uh, did... Boy, Frank, he gave a much better accounting of himself than anybody was giving him a chance to to do uh, this past Saturday night. Demetrius on my scorecard and and, uh, two of the other judges' scorecards Uh, won this fight 49-46. It was never really in question. I think after the first round, DJ had him figured out. I don't think uh, Mighty Mouse was ever in any real serious trouble. But that being said, uh, he worked every minute of that fight. He had uh, Tim Elliott in... I don't know how many submission attempts. Was it a dozen? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, i I could not have kept count of the number of submission attempts that DJ applied that Elliot eventually got out of. Yep. For a beat down position. Yep.
2: Tim was able to get out of that. Uh, you're right. Consistently, Tim was just could not be put away. Um, mm-hmm. The guy just he kept fighting no matter what. Even at times when I think a lot of other fighters would have mentally conceded even in positions maybe not to fight but to go okay I know where I'm at um he didn't it was times that you know he would be fighting out of a bad position holding on and really tying uh demetrius up and then as soon as they got back up or, or moved into a position where he could his hands were free uh he was throwing strikes from the bottom I mean the whole time he just he made sure, you're right, that DJ knew that he was in a fight and it wasn't an easy fight. And even though, um, you know, after the first round, it was a shutout round by round as far as for Demetrius, he didn't win the rounds in blaring fashion where he mounted him or yeah. dropped him or beat him up. Um, you know, he just basically was able to out position him on the ground and on their feet. And, you know, and he, he won them convincingly, but not it wasn't ever a time where, my God, like, oh, they need to stop this. Every time it was like, man, this guy, Tim, just he doesn't go away.
0: No, and you know it was the toughest fight of Demetrius Johnson's title reign, toughest uh, certainly toughest fight of his UFC career. Um, I think it was good to see him tested like that, Uh, also against a bigger fighter. You know, Tim Elliott immediately after the fight was talking about moving up to bantamweight. Uh, The good news is he's back in the UFC. You know, he's a guy who had been in the UFC. Prior as a, as a flyweight, been cut after his loss to Joe Benavidez. And Benavides himself had told me uh, at the uh, media day that he didn't believe Elliott should have been cut from the UFC to begin with. So by virtue of winning the show, he gets back in the UFC. Not only gets back in the UFC, but I think really shows he belongs after the effort that he put forth against uh, Mighty Mouse, pound-for-pound pound, greatest fighter in mixed martial arts right now. Um, but smart. also... But also uh, Elliot being bigger, I think it was interesting to see DJ compete against a bigger guy because you know one thing everybody's talking about is okay he's going to keep defending this flyweight title. Could we see him in a super fight against Dominant Cruz, the only guy that he's you know he's uh, he's lost to? And I think when we start talking about the the ways that he's developed since he fought Cruz out of his natural weight class at bantamweight back in WEC um outings like this i think lend credence to this because it shows he can hang with a bigger guy
2: true but at the same time it means it's not Dominic cruz
0: no no different fine, yeah so different, yeah, i no, think that course.
2: if anything it might have answered questions what's like you know maybe dj just wants to stay at his weight class uh maybe a different guy at bantamweight but i still think that dominic is huge for bantamweight yeah um I remember I was down hanging out with him in Mexico, and I'm like staring at him. And I'm like going, "How the hell do you make 135? Like, Mm -hmm. you look as big as some lightweights that I I see. We're not even talking about you know featherweights, but you make bantam like that. Just you know, it blew my mind. And so speed and agility and takedowns, and and so uh, you know that's actually one thing I thought about because even there was a couple times some of uh, Tim's stand up, the way he was trying to move on his feet, kind of seemed reminiscent of. Maybe he watched some Dominic Cruz videos. Yeah, uh, you know, kind of the shuffling of his footwork and where his hands were in position and some of his head movement, and uh, it made me think. I'm like, yeah, you know, I just, you know, I like DJ, and I think pound for pound he's the greatest. I just think that that ten pounds extra and length and size that Dominic has over him is always going to be a little too much for him to overcome.
0: Yeah, it. Uh, you know, DJ said in the uh, post-fight press conference that he loves fighting in Las Vegas. Uh, He would definitely like for his next title defense, and again, the one that will, uh, with a win, tie him with Anderson Silva's all-time most title defenses uh, in UFC championship history. He wants it to be in Las Vegas. That's great news for me. I like going and watching him fight live. So look for that in 2017. The question is, who will it be against? You went for a large amount of submissions tonight, uh, Demetrius. How much of it was, uh, in terms of him ultimately eluding them, was his physicality, his size, and how much of it was maybe just the un- unorthodox style? You didn't seem to have a problem you know, applying him or anything like that, but obviously that was part of what he was able to do to make this uh, last as long as it did.
5: Yeah, I was. I mean, I was going for the finish. I mean, I worked too damn hard in the gym to n- not go for finishes. So once he grabbed that camera, I was like, "Here comes the armbar." I went for it. And then once I had the guillotine, it's going for the guillotine, the choke. And I was just trying to. I'm trying to finish. You know, I don't come in here and try to lay and pray and like, well, that's fine. No, nah, I was trying to finish this man. <laughs>
0: You know, this was an incredible night for the flyweight division. I mean, you retain your title, continue toward uh, breaking Silva's record, but you also had uh, an absolute war between two former opponents, the number one and the number two ranked uh, uh, flyweights, and uh, an incredible uh, underdog story like uh, uh, like your opponent, and then also even Brandon Moreno, you know, on the, earlier in the night, uh, looking like a real up-and-comer. So as the goldkeeper of the division, do you do you look at that and like what you're seeing not only for your own trajectory but also the future of the division uh, after a night like tonight?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think those guys really uh, showcase what the flyweight division is all about, you know, with Brandon Marrero, Joseph Benavidez, Henry C. I mean, not, not just those guys but the whole entire show. I mean, people say these are probably the best fights that we've ever seen in a Tough 24. Um, I think it just shows that you, when you actually go out there and get guys who are professional professional fighters, and actually champions from different organizations, Titan, Legacy, Axis, so RFA, whatever they have, you're going to have a great group of guys. And look what the byproduct was. You had Tim Elliott, you know, getting there with me.
0: Uh, I think uh, that segues nicely to the co event because uh, in that, Frank, we saw the number one contender, Joe Benavidez, defeat the number two contender, Henry Cejudo, via split decision. Uh, now, Benavidez has lost to Johnson twice was knocked out by him the second time. The first fight was more competitive than that. He's won six straight since he lost to uh, Demetrius Johnson. So as difficult as it is for a guy or a girl who's lost twice to a reigning champion to get a third fight, uh, I think Joe Benavides has a great case to make for it.
2: Well, I think he's made the case or answered that question in every single – Aspect of it that you can as a fighter as far as, uh, as improvement, uh, putting together records, beating everybody you can possibly beat. The only thing that I think that might hurt him is if at the end of the day, they sit there and if which it would hurt him in some other cases. But as I further you know explain this answer, it probably won't. But it's just that. Does people are people going to want to pay to watch for a third one? Mm-hmm. You know they going to want to see it a third time. Is, is Benavides with maybe the uh, you know the catapulting of his fame with the reality show able to make a case that on paper as far as as a combatant he's obviously with hands down earned the right to challenge again for the title but then again remember you know th- th- we're talking about a sport that's seen uh, cm punk <laughs> fighting on a main card right. uh you know there is that you know uh, uh entertainment value to uh th- our, our MMA and, and the UFC needs to be able to make sure that they can, you know, articulate selling tickets and selling pay-per-views or, or, you know, getting people to tune in and watch for their, uh, you know, their sponsors. And so that's the only part that could possibly hurt him. But as I said, there, I think another case may be, it's like, well, who else would there be? There isn't like there's another strong contender right now at Featherweight, um, uh, or excuse me, Flyweight, you know, really on the horizon. Um, you know, they had to do this whole show basically to find somebody. And I think, you know, did a good job with Tim, you know, be able to find somebody to, for him to fight and, and people could rally behind. And you got to know him over the course of six weeks of battling out in and out with different fighters and him and hero in the finals. And, but now it's like, okay, well, now who? And so I think that really, you know, it has to be Joseph.
0: Well, and maybe uh, you put this fight on uh, television, on free television, because uh, th- this fight did. Uh, I don't have the number right in front of me, but I believe the best ratings in two months. I think for a uh, an FS1 card was the stat that I saw, and it was it was unique in the sense that. Um, you know, I could not recall a time that the UFC's payroll exceeded a live gate. May have happened before. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. But I know for sure that happened on Saturday night because Demetrius Johnson got paid three hundred fifty thousand dollars for that fight. Uh, by the way, congratulations to him. Nice to see him. Uh, you know, getting some real money. Yes. the kind of money he deserves. Um, and that was no win bonus. That was that was just flat guarantee. But um, the gate only pulled, I think, a little under 200000 because it's a small uh, arena. Uh, of course, you're factoring in TV and the reality show and all the rest of that. But, you know, hey, if, if, if you're worried about putting a, a, a Joe Benavidez, Demetrius Johnson fight headlining a pay-per-view, maybe you do it on, uh, on an FS1 type card again.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, they've already built a fan base with the reality show Mm -hmm. uh, for Joseph and, you know, and for Demetrius. um, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, And and again, you know, when you first think about it, I know that my first inclination is like, man, you know, third time challenging somebody, you know, I mean, maybe even DJ might be thinking, man, I got to fight this guy a third time. But, uh, but really, who else is there? I mean, Mm -hmm. can you think of another flyweight that is more deserving right now than Joseph? Nope. Yeah, I mean, it has to be his. I mean, regardless of that he, you know, it could be his fifth time facing yep. him and with the win streak he's on and beating the other you know, the number 2 guy, um what else does you know, there's really nothing else. If they don't give him the title shot,
0: then he needs to move weight classes. By the way, that used to happen. Didn't uh, I know Sugar Ray Robinson fought didn't he fight Rocky Marciano like five or six times i think it
2: was rocky graziano
0: rocky graziano yeah yeah because because marciano was undefeated the heavyweight yeah, yeah. that's Different right weight classes. Yeah, yeah yeah there you go <laughs> but uh yeah he fought graziano like yeah i it, think four times yeah i mean that, it was it was uh uh so that's a fairly new thing where the same guy loses twice and we just don't think that fight can uh, can happen again now let's talk well, about true
2: because boxers were more like mma fighters back then yeah mm-hmm. i mean Sugar Ray uh, Robinson. I mean, I think he had 10, 15 losses on his record, right?
0: Yeah, they fought. Yeah, exactly. And that, like, yeah, exactly. But boxing
2: nowadays, a guy has two
0: Mm -hmm. losses
2: on his record in boxing. It's a guy he's done.
0: Yep. Nope. That's right. Um, let's talk about what happened in that co-main event though I gave out the scores Benavidez by split decision it was not without controversy because in the first round Cejudo kicked Benavidez low twice and after the second kick uh, Eve Levine deducted a point which I don't have a problem with I actually think that a lot of times those fouls are they're treated way too liberally in terms of warnings and things like that uh, I mean I get it after the first time for sure but the second time especially in the same round and especially if it's just kind of not even close if they're pretty square kicks yeah I'm a believer in that because the problem is those can alter a fight yeah. you know you can't just it's not about intent it's fine if well, you didn't mean to do it but I mean that that can really alter a fight Yeah and you have to
2: get someone's attention if you want someone to stop doing something yeah. if a warning's not enough the first time and even if I don't think obviously they were not intentional it wasn't like cejudo was aiming at the groin right. it's just that Joseph benavita switches stances you know he's left foot forward right foot forward left mm-hmm. foot forward you know he, he might start off left foot forward then he jumps forward with a right front kick and then switches southpaw throws a hand combination maybe throw another knee and switch back to orthodox and so at times i think that when Sahudo was initiating the kick his intention was to hit the leg, but all of a sudden now, you know, it started off that way, but Benavides wasn't standing in the same position that he was when the kick was initiated. And so he, you know, ends up uh, kicking uh, Benavides in the groin. Um, and so after the first one, just a warning, it obviously didn't sink into his mind to sit there and alter his technique. After the second time he gets a point taken away, he didn't do it the rest of the fight because he's like, wow, I just lost a point. I better mm-hmm. stop doing that technique because, um, you're right, uh, from the fighter perspective, it could alter the the outcome of a fight because it could injure somebody. And and really, even if they continue on because they're a fighter, they're going to want to, uh, when you foul somebody, what does it take out of them? Um, How much could it factor into the outcome? And then the second thing is it just really disrupts the flow of the fight. Um, You know, every time a foul occurs, a guy gets five minutes to take a break. So essentially, you just turned a 15-minute fight, two fouls now, if it goes to decision, you just turned it into a 25 minute fight. If the guy decides to take a full five minute break each time, um, even if it's only two or three minutes, you're adding, you know, two minutes each time you strike the guy in the groin. You've almost added a round onto the the fight, and you know the fans are sitting there and watching. They're just seeing two guys stand there in the uh, the octagon, and it, it does just it interferes with the energy and the flow, and just throws everything off. So that's why fouls have to. You know, I think that the first time you warn a guy, and the second time just man, deduct a point right off the bat. Uh, if that doesn't change his behavior, then you know, then just disqualify him, and yeah. you know, it just wasn't his day. He didn't want to be there.
0: This was a very close fight to me. I gave uh, Cejudo the first round, but with the point deduction, that made it uh, nine nine even. The second round, I thought was the one in question. I gave it to Cejudo, except I thought that uh, Benavidez came on uh, strong late. So I didn't have an issue either way with that round. Ultimately, the third round I thought was clearly Benavidez. I thought he was able where where Sahudo in the first round was able to uh win the battle of uh combinations. It looked like Benavidez had turned that tide in the third round and he owned uh the combinations in the third. So I had it uh, a draw actually. Um and I didn't have a problem with the decision either way. I did not see the judge that gave Benavides I didn't see the score making sense to me that gave Benavidez all three rounds. Um, that one didn't make sense to me, but I didn't have a problem with the outcome either way. And uh, you know, as I said in the post-fight press conference to Joe Benavidez, man, Henry Cejudo for that matter, but particularly to Benavidez. You know, the flyweight division being one of the youngest divisions means that it does not have its storied uh, trilogies yet. It's it's all time great feuds like uh, you know Gray Maynard, Frankie Edgar, uh, in in uh, among the lightweights, and and so you know could we could he see at this point not only doing it again but you know, maybe these guys fight three times before it's all uh, said and done. And he immediately said, yeah, he could, he could totally see that. Joe, it seemed like uh, that you were able to make some positive adjustments in terms of the striking exchanges from round one where he was having success to the third where you started coming on. Uh, was that how it played out in your mind? Did you have that same sense of the momentum?
6: Yeah, you know, I feel like um, I'm the more experienced fighter, and I'm going to have pretty much better cardio than anybody as the fight goes on. So, yeah, it just started becoming more clear to me, you know, as it, as it, as it, as it happens. You know, you make those adjustments, you know, because you've seen all that stuff, you know, and that's what an experienced fighter do. So, you know, I think someone came back and were like, you out him tonight. Like, you were the experienced fighter. You know, you got better as it went on. You made adjustments, and he kind of kept doing the same thing. And, yeah, that's, um, you know, definitely somewhere where I saw, like, that i had an advantage was those x factors you know he's a great athlete he's fast he's strong but um my fight iq you know is just a little higher than his and like little little things like that little you know intricate details that you know it takes to win at the top levels i knew you know i was going to start seeing more things and that's kind of how i always fight you know just like even my last fight with makovsky was into the third round where i like started getting his timing and his takedowns and everything down where i was like oh two more you know Let's do this. So, uh, yeah, always going to get stronger as the fight goes on, I feel.
0: With the flyweight division being one of the newer divisions, one thing it hasn't really had yet in its history is a, a lot of storied rivalries. It hasn't really had its Edgar Maynard yet. Uh, based on the closeness of this fight and, and its compelling nature, could you maybe see if this gets run back one more time, maybe even again, that you guys could maybe be on a path to that kind of history together?
6: Yeah, That's, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, for sure. You know, we're two, you know, number one and two in the division. Um, this fight was awesome. And once again, you know, you get two guys in there, um, that are world class. I mean, you can have them fight as many times as you want. They're going to be awesome fights. And, um, this one just even, you know, would make it better. I mean, obviously the ultimate fighter and all that stuff helped the fight, you know, definitely helps. So, you know, if it happens down the road, you know,
0: I'm ready. Let's get after it. And lastly, uh, as someone who has not only fought Tim Elliott but also had him on your team, I don't know if you had a chance to watch his fight or not. But if you did, what what were your thoughts on that performance
4: tonight?
0: Just,
6: I love Tim. Love watching that guy um, in his first run in the UFC, all the way through the show, and now back. You know, um, and I'm proud to know him now on a deeper level. You know, after the Ultimate Fighter and having trained with him like the last four weeks. I just respect that guy and his style and his mentality as a fighter so much. You know, after the fight, he said, um, you know, I might have lost when the five rounds ended, but if this fight went to the death, I'd beat everybody. And I wholeheartedly believe that. The guy would never stop. So I knew he was going to go in there and um, I said in all my interviews he was going to give Demetrius hell. And he does that. That's what Tim does. He goes out and hangs his balls out there regardless, and he's always himself. You know, he's not going to you know, make adjustments for this or that, he's going to go for the guillotine, go for the finish, and like I said, he hang his balls out there <laughs> for the most part, and um, that's what you got to love about a guy um, like Tim, so it's always awesome to watch him fight, and I'm super happy that he got this opportunity to fight, and you know, everyone knew how good he was going in, but you just went in there and saw him fight one of the best guys in the world, and um, competitive contest, you know, almost had him in the, in the, um, in the first round there. And then Demetrius just made some adjustments. And like I said, Tim is going to continue to fight his fight and keep his flow. And like they said during the broadcast, like, this guy's crazy. He's fooling around out there against the best guy in the world. But that's just, that's just how he operates. And um, like I said, him on a deeper level now, I respect that and his style anymore. That's just the way that he lives. Um, he grips it and he rips it.
0: Sohudo uh, for his part, Told me that he needed a break from Joe Benavides. He, he seemed to immediately pull back from the idea of fighting Joe Benavides again anytime soon. Henry, it seemed like uh, in the first round you were winning the exchanges, you had a lot of luck pressuring him against the cage. Second round was very close. Third round, Joe may have uh, been able to turn some of that tide and win some of those exchanges. From your perspective in the fight, did you sense any shifts in momentum toward either him or yourself at any point that you can remember?
4: No, not really. Not really. I felt like I, I felt like I hit the cleaner punches. At least, at least that's what you know. Sometimes we live in our we live in our own reality. I felt like I, I probably got the crisper punches, like the more uh, straight punches. But sometimes, you know, people that do a bunch of volume stuff, they really don't hit nothing, but maybe hit you behind the head. Um, I think that was just maybe sometimes judges need to actually see clear, significant punches before anything. I mean, I'm beat up. He did hit me in the face, but, but so did I. I. Cut him open. Um, I don't know. What was the question? <laughs> uh
0: one two-part question finally if uh, I, I think the, the the definite winner was the flyway division tonight I mean one and two put on a war like that uh, question number one is the rivalry between the two of you and the disdain still intact and number two uh, how quickly would you like to run this back if if you would
4: uh, with would Joe I know you guys may not like this answer but I definitely need a break from it <laughs> it was six months of just anticipation and wait um, who knows? Who knows what uh, what has in store? But as of now, I, mean, I want to take a vacation. But I will say this, I do need a little break from him. Um, about, I really did get tight. And it's nothing, even if I would have won the fight, I still need a break from this guy. I really do.
0: So while Benavidez is responding uh, affirmatively, to my question about doing battle with Cejudo again, if not multiple times, it does also seem that Benavidez now has a clear case to be made for fighting um, for fighting uh, Mighty Mouse for a third time. So let me ask you your thoughts on the fight, though, Frank. Did I saw it as a draw? Did you see yeah, I, either I, fighter winning?
2: No, it wasn't very clear, Clint. The only round I really had. Uh, even the first round, you know, I was sliding towards Benavides or excuse me, uh, Cejudo winning. Um, but not by much mm. and the second round I, I kind of what is a draw mm-hmm. you know, I thought one guy was throwing harder coming forward the other guy was maybe landing a little bit more but more elusive and, and backing up and it's kind of like at that point where do you put more credence and in, in weight into what you're scoring the third round I thought Benavidez started taking over and was the only time I felt in the fight you know about a minute or two into it where I felt one fighter actually finally was controlling the fight and I hadn't felt that way you know for the whole you know 12 minutes up to that that point. Um I do think it's interesting though and I and I wonder, you know, part of me was sitting there thinking especially in the talk about, you know, uh, that Demetrius's next fight is going to be for the record. Yep. Right? Uh tying the record or breaking the
0: record. Tying it.
2: Tying the record. that's ah, so not so bad. So benavius needs to fight now cuz um it's almost kind of like remember in baseball You know, when a guy's, you know, like, I remember uh, when Barry Bonds was breaking the home run record, uh, a lot of pitchers started throwing, you know, uh, walking him.
0: Oh, Uh, right. They didn't want to be the guy. You didn't want to be the guy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I wonder now in the flyweight division, I mean, being the guy that he ties a record with is going to be pretty bad, but being the guy that he breaks the record with, you know, you don't want to be Mm -hmm. immortalized in the flyweight division as being the guy that, you know, the Demetrius Johnson now owns the, probably, I think out of every record in the in mixed martial arts i think defending the belt even above conor mcgregor holding two consecutive belts because i mean he really won two fights to do that he he, he won a fight yeah. against jose aldo and then you know he only won you know one fight at he didn't even fought at 155 you know so he got to jump up and fight for the title at, at lightweight and you know if you give that opportunity to a lot of different champions um you know if you let john go ahead and fight at heavyweight when he's the, you know, uh, light heavyweight champ, there's a strong chance that he could pull off the win. And so uh, that, you know, we see in mixed martial arts all the time in the UFC and all the other organizations, MMA fights, it's hard to be consistent. Anybody at any given night, I mean, I've watched, you know, Holly Holmes a nine what was a 12 to one underdog knock out Ronda Rousey. Uh, you know, I remember even going back further seeing Matt Sarah knock out George St. Pierre you know uh so you know one punch one move could get you two belts that isn't the case with nine consecutive wins yeah to defend the belt means that you're fighting i mean you know other guys have put together fight wins but then you have to sit there and go okay who did you beat you know there's lesser dangerous guys but you have to assume um I think most people would assume that if you defend the belt, each time you're fighting a pretty dangerous guy. Um, (laughs) The next best guy you would think in your division, at least in the top three or four, uh, that he's getting the title shot. So to string together nine wins or to get that 10th win, I mean, that to me is the most impressive record. I can't think of one that I have more respect for. To sit there and go, this guy day in and day out over a course of four or five years has beaten the best guys in his division. Yeah, he's closed it out. Uh, he's the champ. Um, that just you know, and, and and that note makes me sad for John. Talk about a guy that just shoots himself in the foot because John, we went through his record. He's never lost a fight. And, yeah. you, you know, he's been disqualified. That's the only blemish on his record. He would be up there too with the most, you know. Talk about title defenses. I mean, that's a record now that he's never going to be able to attain. Well, I guess he could always come back and, and defend the lightweight belt, light heavyweight belt when he gets back, maybe ten times. But all the title defenses he already had accumulated, mm-hmm. you know, choking out Machida, uh, you know, uh, you know, beating Daniel Cormier, shutting down uh, Gustafsson, you know, you know, fight after fight, you know, of tough guys that he's had to face you know killers and 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 he won't get to have that record you know how, how because of not something that nobody could take away from inside the octagon but because of just being a kid you know not maybe in years but just in his party and mentality uh you know just screwed it up man damn
0: yeah and and i i actually think the flaws are deeper than that i think that that it's it may start with that, but that guy has got so many layers of self sabotage. Apparently, that because you know what, it's hard to keep. I I cover this sport for a job, and if you ask me right offhand, okay, name all the the legal troubles he's got, like. I'd be okay. See, there was the time, all right. There was a drunk driver. Oh, wait, was that the time? No, that was the other time. There'd be a lot of that going on.
2: Obviously, I mean, everybody who listens and knows you, you know, you never have done a drug, never even drinking a a drop of alcohol. Now, maybe why I have more sympathy for John is because of. Working in a strip club, or you know, for for you know seven or eight years of my young adult life. Basically, mm-hmm. as soon as I turned twenty one, you know, I started working as a bouncer in nightclubs. And in fact, I actually had a job at nineteen as a bouncer in mm-hmm. uh, a nightclub. And so, um, I've seen people that just can't get out of their own way. That are good people, but just the lure of partying and of of self indulgence, which is very abundant here in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. Uh, you get a guy who, when he's in Ohio, doesn't do shit wrong, you know, comes home, you know, goes to bed, might have a couple beers, but you put that sim guy in Vegas. And I think people can relate to that because there's that motto that we have, which <laughs> whatever you think of it, but what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas because people now have the opportunity to just really, uh, indulge in drugs sex gambling you know y- you name it um, if it's a pleasure it's available mm-hmm. and so people lose their, their fucking minds mm-hmm. you know we're normally that same girl that same guy would never even behave that way at home And what I think that what John is exposed to is he has that same personality that a lot of those people that I had to call ambulances for or you know help their family or their friends get them out to the car because they drank way beyond their limit because they were exposed to just having a great time. And now you have John who has that same personality, but because of the money and fame that he's procured through the UFC, basically everywhere he goes becomes Las Vegas. He has opportunities that those same people that lose their minds. So I guess I point that out to people say, hey, you know, before you judge them, if you're one of those people that when you come to Vegas, you lose your mind. Well, Uh guess what? You have the same personality he has. The difference is when you go back home to Minnesota, you don't have that. You know, you don't have the same temptations that you have here where someone like John, those temptations are everywhere. I, I can speak for firsthand, you know, uh uh, experience. Uh-huh. Um, I go out places of I travel, you know, that's just, you know, what people try to always like, oh, hey, you want, let's do this, let's go, we want to party with the champ or, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's do this, let's do that, you know. Uh, it really is put upon you on, on my shoulders to sit there and go, hey, no, you know, uh, we can have a good time. Let's just go eat dinner. You know, yeah, that's fine. You know, no, I don't want, you know, that's not really my speed. I don't really want to go there. Mm-hmm. But if you have a hard time saying no to things when they're right there in front of your face, well, you know, Fame and money are going to, have to be a hard burden to carry, and I think that's what happened to John.
0: Yeah, I, I think that where where my line gets drawn in terms of cutting breaks and you know your your sixth second chance and all that kind of stuff uh, comes into play like this. Like you're you're right. So I don't I don't drink. I've never drank. I I can't relate to that. However, I text. All right. I text a lot. I like to text. That's a very effective form of communication for me. Now, one thing I don't do is I don't text while I'm driving. That's a bad idea. But let's say that it's tempting. It's tempting to do it, especially when you got something uh, important you want to respond to or whatever. So let's just say that I'm texting and driving and I wrap my car around a telephone pole. I 100% guarantee you that from that day forward, I would never text and drive again. True. See what I mean? It's more in that. It's more in I can't get to the part where I was texting and driving and I hit the pregnant lady because the first time I was texting and driving, I wrapped my car around the telephone pole and I learned my lesson.
2: Yeah, but again, there's a whole, I mean, look, there's a whole thing with addictions and Partying mm-hmm. and people have with substance abuse that uh, their minds to make, you know, even the simplest, what we think are very simple decisions. Uh, you know, it's like an alcoholic. Most people that I know, in fact, the few guys I know that actually go to AA meetings, mm-hmm. they don't expose themselves to alcohol at all. Right. Zero exposure. Right. No exposure. Um, I don't think John has been put in that situation. I think John, I think needs to be put like that. I don't think that, uh, he can party a little bit. I don't think he can just go out and have a few drinks. I think that someone, you know, he needs to, it can't be someone it has to be him himself have to come to the realization that I just do dumb shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, uh, you know what? The great story about that is Mrs. Meir. Mm -hmm. she is not known you can at one time i'll have have james on and he can talk to you about uh when she drinks she becomes very aggressive and uh how do i say it politely fucking violent man oh no (laughs) the wife is a violent drunk yeah so after years of it hurting my feelings of the altercations that we would get into um she decided that okay uh I'm very proud of her for doing this because it was a no, I mean, I never asked her to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, one, she drank, I thought it was like, well, can you just have one or two? Um, She started taking on the responsibility of that. Well, I realize that once I start to drink, I start making bad decisions. It allows me to drink more and more and then I become somebody that I really am not. But, after I do it once or twice, how do I have that excuse that my sober brain, if I am sober enough to say I'm sorry afterwards, that I should be able to be sober enough to still make that same mentality to make that statement of going, well, I just can't drink at all. And, and mm. now she's been; it's been 10 years since she's, I mean, she'll take a sip of a glass of wine that I might order just every now and then. But um, she has not had a buzz or sat down with a cocktail in front of her for 10 years now.
0: And see, that's, that's effective deductive reasoning there too is having the the self-awareness to draw that exact conclusion that you just talked about uh what concerns me in john jones case and i just very recently listened to him i think last week it was on uh, joe rogan's podcast you know, it's funny chael was alluding to uh the press that john would not do to promote this uh, submission only underground uh uh i I heard John say on Joe Rogan's podcast that because he was doing the grappling tournament he was being asked to do PR and he didn't want to go on talk shows because or podcasts or whatever because he didn't want to answer questions about all his problems. So he was deciding to just do Joe's podcast to sort of, you know, cover all the the bases. But I heard him say something that was alarming to me in the the character flaw department. And he said, um, That one of the things that goes through his mind is that when people he said he had a lot of people in his life try to tell him to get himself together. You know, hey, you're I don't know what's going on with you, but you need to straighten it out. And he told the story, he said, he said, uh, and in a a humorous way, he said, uh, you know, there was one day where he went out to he was putting his garbage out by the curb. And the garbage man comes by and the guy that's on his route and he's throwing his garbage in the truck and he looks at John and he says hey you know I, I really like watching you fight but man you got to get yourself together like I don't know what's going on with you but you know and he's like man when the you know the garbage man is telling me to pull my life together it's uh, sobering pardon the pun and that in itself was funny but then I heard him follow saying that with this he said I but I kind of find that insulting well, yeah, right, the garbage there, man. What's yeah. wrong with the garbage man? Yeah. yeah, totally. He probably
2: makes $26 an hour, 30 bucks an hour, and is a yeah. hard worker. Yeah, no, no, you're right. No, he I contributes I, a great service to society. Sure, sure. If no, he I, said the homeless crackhead at the center of the street would have said it, I yeah. would have been, that. that's funny. Yeah. But telling me that a working guy, right. oh, this guy, it's like, really?
0: And also, I'll tell you. That kind of bugs me a little bit, Well, and, and, and now that you point that out, uh, you know, another thing is I guarantee you that garbage man wasn't on his fourth chance with the sanitation company nope. after <laughs> no, I mean,
2: just you drive those trucks money. around. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, you can't be an asshole at all. I mean, that's a big right. vehicle and traffic and, you know, those guys. Uh, <laughs> I-, I dare anybody to go ahead, any of these CrossFit fanatics, go ahead and do a run the back of a garbage truck for a day. Pull a shift on that thing. Uh, I had a friend that is still in sanitation, and I watched <laughs> – uh, I, I wouldn't go do it. I mean, there's yeah. t- uh, there, uh, training for a fight might not even be as hard as that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? That, that's a great point that you make. And and I guess what resonated with me was actually what he said at, right after that, which was he said, "So on the one hand, I was having these people come up to me saying, you know, I needed to get myself together. He goes, but I would say to myself, well, who are they to judge me? Because who knows what they have going on in their life? Let me let me tell you something." They are absolutely within their right to judge you because you are, forget that you're an entertainer for a minute. I'm sharing the road with you, okay? You're just a fellow member of society, and as a fellow member of society, if you are doing something that is directly or indirectly putting me at risk, I 100% one hundred percent will judge you. Well, for wasn't that.
2: our whole judicial system based upon the fact that? Of course, you are tried by a by jury your peers. of your peers. Yes,
4: exactly. I mean, who
2: else to judge you but your fellow man? Well, that's right. In and, society, and, and yeah.
0: listen, I'm also that wasn't
2: thought through very well.
0: <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. And and see, and there, there, there is the. <laughs> we're right back to square one, yeah, aren't we, okay. With him, then, yeah. I, I'm
2: just trying to explain that that you don't have to be an asshole to have weaknesses, but sure. But uh yeah. No, I I remember the one, you know, and, and I'm friends with John, so I've tried to, you know, uh, you know, look at the the silver lining between every storm cloud, right? No. Uh, uh-huh. I remember the one time where I was just completely just lost for an answer. I'm like, "Fuck, I don't know, man." <laughs> uh-huh. Was the well, you know, he hit the young lady and in, in the vehicle I'm like okay you know I've driven a vehicle when I probably shouldn't have when I was younger uh, you know something I don't do now I have my kids and everything else but you know if you ask me if I've ever ever in my existence ever driven a vehicle slightly intoxicated or even more so Basically when I should not have been driving, I have, you know, I just, I was lucky and didn't do nothing too crazy and I was able to make it home. Um, but I'm not condoning that behavior and, you know, fuck, it scares me sometimes to think of some of the dumb shit I've done when I was younger and, you know, just thank goodness, you know, I didn't, you know, get busted for it. Um, but to crash the vehicle in the young lady and bolt and then to come back, <laughs> to grab shit out of the car and bolt again they're like well what would you do i'm like oh man next question
0: please (laughs) i don't know how to answer that you know Uh, he he was asked uh joe asked him about that on the podcast (laughs) and he said first of all he this is this again you know this is uh another thing and i i look at I look at ownership of one's actions, you know, because one of the things that I will always, and trust me, it's not always a great thing. I mean, if you do something that you wish you hadn't done or you're not proud of or whatever, but you do it sober, you own it. You know what I mean? I don't have any, I don't ever have any excuse of, oh boy, I was bombed out of my head or what, was that me? Did I do that? Oh, I don't remember that. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, you own it, um, And so in his case, he was asked about that episode and he starts in with the, well, first of all, there was a story that I went and grabbed cash and why, why would a multimillionaire have to go back and grab cash? I wasn't going back to grab cash. I was going back to grab. I realized that my, my bowl, that my pot was in, it was in the car. And I was worried about getting that being found. So, see, right now he's splitting hair. That doesn't have any – it doesn't matter. The whole point, like you just said – it be
2: better to say you were
0: going back for money? I know.
2: Hold on. So, I mean, hold on let me think about this. <laughs> so, I'm going back to help myself be less incriminated yeah. by having drugs, paraphernalia in the vehicle. Or you could sit there and go, hey – I earn my money in a hard way and I just don't leave a dollar, you know. I'm I'm that kind of guy. I'm frugal. Yeah. And so I was like, "Oh my god, just I was in such a state of shock that I wasn't even thinking right, but my sub just, you know, my my just lower layer of mind thought was that, "Oh, someone's going to steal my money." Uh-huh. Which a lot of people could relate to that. Like, could you imagine you left your wallet on the ground? You're like, "Oh shit, my wallet, you know, my IDs, my this." forget about how much money you have in the bank you just think oh that's my money I think that would be much more relatable and I wish John would talk to someone who could tell him this Mm -hmm. because sit there and tell people I'm going to go back and get my drugs it's like now you're bringing drugs back into the conversation you're only now reaffirming how much of a delinquent you were being at this time and now you're saying that you you had the forethought of mind to, to try to protect your own ass at that moment, even though someone else was already in pain or in need of help.
0: That's right. That's oh right. shit, man. Come on. Now that gets me to the next part of the rational rationalization from him, which was, he said, uh, and it was only like eight or nine seconds. Like he's trying to establish a timetable. Like from the time that I went back to the car, To the time that I was hopping over this fence was only eight or nine seconds as if, you know, that's as if as if that's a third as bad as if it's 30 seconds. Right. I mean, the the time, the whole point being, he's leaving the scene of this accident. He obviously knows there's another driver in the car uh, that he has hit. And uh, Rogan asked him, he said, well, why didn't you go check on the, the driver? And he said, "Well, I just assume that they must have been okay because I was okay."
2: Well, yeah. I mean, uh,
0: I guess I can go with that one. Uh, except that they're not
2: moving. I mean, yeah. it's
0: not like you see them get out of the car. I mean, you just—I just think that it's—you know—A lot well, of his
2: statements, I have a harder time tearing that one down. Um, And as far as fleeing, uh, people do it all the time. I don't agree with it. I know that I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That being said, you know, so I'm not defending it at all. I'm just pointing out that some people under a time of crisis behave differently. I mean, there's guys that, you know, you put a rifle in their hand, they train for the last four or five months that you put them in a situation where now people are shooting at them and they won't shoot back. They lock up, they panic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just there are those individuals out there and that, you know, that when, when, when John was hit with a major adversity and it was a traumatic situation that he was in, he, fle- he fleed. You know what I mean? He, you know, he, he ran from uh, danger. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of other people would have too. Uh, not that I agree with it, but I just don't think it's uh, uh, as sad as it is. It's not as far. You know, there's many hit and runs all the time where people, oh shit, you know, and they they run from it.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of times too, though those happen because someone is um, is is uninsured. Or well, they're scared
2: of further, obviously, punishment. It's like the you know, it's you know, a little kid that when you catch them doing something, they they continue to lie
0: because
2: yeah. you don't want to face the uh, you know the punishment. Uh, and so I think that's what happens a lot of times when people get into wrecks. Uh, You know, that idea of the punishment of what's about to occur, you know, weighs so heavily on them that they they choose the coward way out and they they bolt, you know, and uh, I'm actually, actually speaking of Nevada laws, I'm happy now that, you know, they've changed that before it was the point where there was really no punishment. Uh, it was actually the way the laws were written up here. Um, I think fleeing an accident up until just, you know, several months ago was only a misdemeanor. That's right. No,
0: that's right. Yeah. It so have, there was a, an incentive to do right.
2: it. There was a huge incentive Yeah, that if you were a drunk driver and, and, and for example, you know, Britta, mm-hmm. uh, uh, her, her uncle, her, his, his wife and his children, Uh, They were taken from him, from a drunk driver, Mm. you know, uh, Mm -hmm. caused a vehicle accident. Well, the driver fleed the accident Mm -hmm. and stayed away for several days so that when he finally turned himself in, he was no longer drunk. And so they could never add that into the charges of being a, you know, DUI type of you know uh you know so i think it turned out to you know a lesser crime because he was a sober person that caused an accident even though he wasn't sober he fleed from the accident sobered up and then you know was found to turn himself in i don't remember the details at that point but just remember the atrocity of like oh wow so the drunk driver has all the incentive in the world to flee the accident because you're gonna get a misdemeanor for fleeing but you know damn if you get caught and you know if you're high or you're drunk you're screwed you know mm-hmm. you just hit somebody and especially if you caused uh, a fatality or any kind of uh, you know serious injury and so now we finally have changed the laws here to where now you know you flee it's it's <laughs> there's no incentive now on in taking off
0: I just I also think though that there is a built there's an inherent responsibility that comes with operating something that is potentially fatally dangerous like a car. Let me let me give you another example. It's like when we are shooting guns the other day, right? Everybody's being very careful of the guns and gun safety and pointing them in the safe direction. All the rest of that, uh, the, the things you would do vis-a-vis the things you would normally do when you're responsibly operating a car, okay? But let's just say that someone uh, during the process of shooting those guns gets accidentally wounded. You know, I accidentally inadvertently shot somebody in the foot or something mm-hmm. okay well uh certainly wasn't intentional certainly didn't mean to uh I'm let's say I'm alone with this person okay well they're only shot in the foot I think they're yeah. going to survive that this is a fairly busy neighborhood so somebody's going to be along in a minute to, you know, even if I knew I could get away with that, it's like in that moment, what am I yes. really saying about myself? But that, exactly right there. Psych- yeah. Here's
2: the thing everybody does things because we do it according to like what I wish uh, I was more schooled in actual definitive uh, definitions of psychology, but you choose the path that you are able to live with, I guess, or, you know, the, the lesser of the evils or, yeah. you know, what you're more comfortable with. Like, for example, you would, you could not live with yourself, right? So that's uh-huh. what's worse for you. Not the punishment coming, but you thinking that you yourself as a human being are a scumbag. You would much rather sit in jail for a year and know that you did the right thing Because you made a mistake, but you're going to own up to it because that's your character and because that's what you choose. Um, And I relate with that huge because it's it's like me. Um, I've always just ran right towards punishment because I hate. You know what I hate the most about fighting? Mm. I hate the back room. I fucking hate the back room. I hate. The walk I cannot wait till you get me to the cage shut the door and then when people ask you you nervous anymore I'm like nah man once the door shuts and I know that I'm fighting somebody it's on mm. my my adrenaline if you could put a heart measure on me in the back room I'm probably beating at a hundred beat 80 beats a minute yeah. you get me inside the octagon boom I drop down to 65 I'm calm because fighting doesn't make me scared anticipation so it's always the waiting it's just like growing up or in the I'm not a violent person I try to avoid confrontation when I can but if you You and I are in an argument, and I know it's gonna get violent. I don't keep arguing with you. I don't keep fighting with you. I immediately just start fighting. All right, fuck it. I'll throw the first. I've never been the person said, don't throw the first punch. I'm like, well, screw that. I know where this is going, and I feel uncomfortable waiting for it to get there. Mm -hmm. So I'm just gonna jump right to it. You know. So anytime I've ever screwed up in life, once again, it's not maybe uh, in, in one sense I'm not saying it's not a valiant. Uh, mindset that I, oh, let me, you know, I'm going to own up to my punishments. Like, well, no, out of the two things, I hate waiting for the idea. Like if I committed a crime, I'm the guy that will turn myself in. If I think you're going to catch me, screw that yeah. fucking, I'm here right now. And so that anticipation of not knowing and, and waiting that nah, drives me insane. Um, and with you, it's your character of who you are. So now speaking on John, obviously the punishment itself is the worst thing to him, not his opinion of himself, not the anticipation of the punishment, all the different things psychologically that you could try to avoid that cause you angst. You know, your angst comes from how you hold yourself you hold yourself in high character and so i think a lot of us make decisions based upon that you know well why does this guy do this why does that person do that it's like well they don't have a problem with this but they have a problem with that so that's what led to that behavior and so that's why you do the right thing even when no one's watching that's why you are able to work at a brothel how many listeners right now I mean, come on how many wives are listening to our show right now would let their husband, who they most likely, I mean, come on, it's their husband, they trust him, they love him, but would send their husband to a brothel day in and day out. Right. to work yeah You're, but Jen and I know I mean if someone told me right now that they caught you cheating on Jen I'd be like dude show me the video I don't yeah. believe you and even the video I'd be like okay is this CGI because I know the guy I've yeah. been around him in situations there's no way yeah because the kind of character you hold yourself up to is why you make those decisions because your character profile is not based upon punishment of others but your internal dialogue you have with yourself on what character you hold yourself up to so then I can kind of you know I guess why I break this down is how I fight people try to figure out what makes them tick John obviously doesn't have that same character because as long as you don't know about it it doesn't count as bad it's kind of how he works Yeah. well if you don't catch me what does it matter and then who are you to judge me you know those kind of statements come off of the fact that like well if it's not somebody of authority catching you shining the light on your behavior then it doesn't exist
0: yeah yeah I I think that like I I was just thinking about um you know, this the other day cut spoiler, we, we're gonna have to talk about this more at length on a future episode, but uh because we uh <laughs> Where are we at
2: now? We at two hour Yeah,
0: We're fine, yeah. We're we're <laughs> at uh we uh we're at, Yeah, well, we're over two hours, but but what I was going to say is that we'll explain to everybody in further detail maybe on our next episode about going and shooting guns the other day. Oh yeah, we got to. I I do have a lot I want to say about this uh, because the first time I ever fired a gun, we did it with uh, a couple of our listeners. Uh, Jeremy and John, uh, who and came. John's from, dad. Yeah, and John. John's dad, uh, John Sr., who came all the way from Texas. But we got video that of it and everything. Experience. It was great. so glad.
2: It was so much fun. No, and. Uh, <laughs> and you brought up the one name I didn't want to bring up, too, because that was in my head all day.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. It's a package. Package. Yeah. That's what we say in radio to uh, uh, tease ahead to the next broadcast. Yes. So let's don't give yeah. up too I much information of right nervous now. We'll talk about that. Yeah.
2: Going to the gun range with other people. Right. So. No, we'll
0: talk about that. But what I do want to say about that experience, because I think it applies to what we're talking about with, with John Jones here, is, you know, I so I have a driver's license. Um, I'm allowed to operate a vehicle. Uh, I don't own a gun, but I have said before to you, I said, you know, to me, I'm actually interested in the process because to me, I'm the kind of person I think who should, I'm the type of person that should be able to own a gun. I wouldn't want somebody like me not being able to own a gun in this country okay so in in actually having the the first first hand experience of firing it you know what's most important to me in that situation is not that i come out the champion in other words you know oh he hit the target every time right dead center it's coming out of that experience and everybody going oh he handled that great you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he understood – it was it was no drama. It was right. no screw-ups or whatever.
2: No one had a problem with you holding a gun.
0: That's it. That's yeah. it. And so that's – when I prioritize things, yeah, it's awesome if I can hit the target or do well. with it. But the main thing is that I'm not a – I'm considered an asset to a situation and not a liability uh, as opposed to, oh, yeah, well, the guy was – you know, you, you didn't want to take your eye off of him for a second, but he's the best – target shooter so we all have to tolerate that because we need his greatness around us yeah. does that make sense
2: No, totally Could- but i mean in our society we almost at times idolize the type of behavior you're uh, yeah. you're you're ashamed of where it's well, I don't care what you think of me, I'm doing me. I mean, have you have oh, heard, yes. what's that, you know, like, uh, uh, uh what, what, I always hear people say, well, I'm real. It's like, yeah.
0: well, keeping well, it what real. Is, oh,
2: you're keeping it real, what, you're just being an asshole. That's right. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> just because you say you're keeping it real afterwards doesn't yeah. mean you're not being an you're asshole. You're being an authentic <laughs> asshole. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, that's that's a great way of putting it, and and when you think about, and I guess I use the cars to guns analogy a lot because it's like that is something that you are either licensed to do or your licensed your license is is revoked in our society for mishandling this deadly weapon. A car is a deadly weapon. A gun is obviously a deadly weapon,
2: and and I dare say that you know because I've heard people you know uh, a lot of the gun enthusiasts. Obviously, and I agree with that. You know, I've heard when what, what I hear the other day, someone said that when a when a when a bomber, you know, suicide bomber goes and you know and, and kills a bunch of people, we don't blame the bomb. Mm-hmm. When uh, you know the the, the, the terrorist down in in, in Paris or, uh, uh, drove the truck mm-hmm. uh, and killed a bunch of people, we didn't blame trucks. We blamed the person. We blamed the person. But when a person shoots someone with a gun, you know, they blame the gun. But uh, and I agree with that. You're right. It's people that are killing people. I don't think that it's the the the, the actual item they're using it's just that the reason why the gun is't where I can't a hundred percent where I can see where people are coming from a little bit with the the gun thing where I, again me me always fucking being in the middle mm-hmm. um, I see where it's like well a car has a purpose besides you could inadvertently use the car to kill people you could you know but but whereas a a, a gun you know only has one purpose Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. you know and I guess the reason why bombs aren't thrown in there is because bombs aren't readily available to people Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, you know as far as I know it's still illegal to buy you know to create bombs you know no one has a license to have bombs unless you're some type of uh you know a movie special effect tech guy and yeah you know uh, you know takes a special license to even you know go there and 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 heavily regulated i'm assuming i'm hoping mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know uh, but uh, with firearms not so much and, and you're right you know a gun only has one purpose and that's to kill something whether you use it for hunting or you use it for protection um you know it fires a projectile <laughs> down range yeah. and it's not meant to do uh anything friendly when it lands
0: well and back to the the the, the John Jones connection because I remember in the process of all of his legal troubles, one thing that came up was his lawyer was arguing to the judge that in the midst of all this probation, house arrest, or whatever all he had, conditions he had going on, that he should be able to keep a gun for protection. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my god, I don't want this guy having a gun. I didn't even realize this was being debated. If he can't handle a car... He doesn't need to have, don't want him to have a gun. Because if you think I and mean, take it take out you know somebody for a minute, you know, it, it, it's sort of like saying if we're in court debating your animal cruelty case, I don't even want to think about you being in charge of kids.
2: Yeah, I see what your point. It, it, it is hard to argue because you're right. Um, you know, he hasn't you know, you, you would think that you have a right to be able to defend your, your wife and kids and mm-hmm. have small children. But at the same time, through your actions uh his right to provide them transportation has been taken away so at the same time his right to defend them in the same manner uh anything besides probably a baseball bat at that point probably is going to be called into question and i mean
0: well and see i think it flips at that point too because i think it goes from providing protection to possibly being a liability because at, at that point i don't want you to have the wife and the kids in a car that you're driving true see so it goes from so you having a gun to yeah, yeah yeah yeah
2: i mean it's uh i mean that's part of just being a responsible adult and just right. you know um you know the choices we make you know uh, trickle down and i think that's why uh man or woman but i always say as a man you know uh uh You know, decisions I make don't only just fall upon me, you know, when Mm -hmm. I screw up or I do something or if I make a bad decision, it affects my wife and kids. And, and, uh, you know, hopefully John will start realizing that, too, and and make decisions appropriately, realizing that, you know, the decisions he makes, the consequences he faces, uh, you know, they affect the, the ones he loves most.
0: After that brief John Jones uh, detour, we uh, go back to wrapping up the uh, Ultimate oh, yeah. Fighter Live finale well, card. That's what we were talking about. A couple more fights <laughs> oh, okay. uh, that I wanted to talk about, for sure. The feature bout uh, had some serious controversy around it, and it was a barn burner while it lasted. Uh, a one-round affair between Jake the Juggernaut Ellenberger and Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. Yes. Now, Masvidal was getting the better of Ellenberger on the feet. Had, already him,
2: dropped him, once. Yep,
0: had him in trouble. Dropped him Ellenberger survived a real barrage and then toward the end of the first round with Herb Dean refereeing was it the first I thought they made it to the second no I think it was ended in the first oh why in my head did I think that they made it to the second am I wrong well let me uh, let me investigate on something called uh, the internet um, but uh, I think that uh, uh, so so what happened was uh, Mazvidal has Ellenberger backed against the cage. Ellenberger's foot catches underneath the cage. Yeah, he, it looked like he attempted a flying knee or almost
2: like a kick. Where I think it was a knee. And uh, he slid and jammed his foot right into the cage.
0: Right. So, right. And
2: then he's sitting down in the cage. And I don't think anybody noticed at first myself included watching the fight. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mazvidal was hitting him from behind and, and you know, Ellenberger's reaction was to grab his foot, which now, in hindsight, understandable that that was of his greatest concern. But then Herb Dean had to stop the fight with a TKO.
0: Four minutes into the first round okay so uh yeah and i understood why herb stopped the fight because before he saw ellenberger's foot caught in the cage to me anyway it looked like uh he saw that ellenberger was not intelligently defending himself that he right. was sort of caught now ellenberger to his it was really, to me it was no one's fault because of course wow, ellenberger is looking at his foot going wait a second my foot's caught up but i could see where that could be misinterpreted as he's out of sorts he's not sure where he is he's He's taken unnecessary punishment. Now, I heard Shale in fact, we should have brought this up with Chael when we are talking to him, but we would already had him for quite a while. He said he was watching at home, and I, I was there live. Now, you saw it on tape. He said that he heard her Dean picked up on Mike saying to the, the commissioner that he had called a timeout. Did you hear anything like no, that? No, I didn't. And then basically reverse the call and called it a TKO. I'd have to go back and watch it because, I mean, I was there, so I didn't hear the, didn't well, hear I mean, any if he called that.
2: a timeout, then it just said no contest.
0: Yeah, then it would be different. So, I mean, I'll t- one way or another, I think Ellenberger's got a great case for an appeal.
2: Oh, in fact, I think that it should have been called a TKO mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, The fight, you know, it was stopped. I thought it was stopped because of the apparent, uh, you know, unintelligent defense coming from Ellenberger, which I understand why in hindsight. Mm -hmm. And then you just, you know, you make that call there because I don't know of any other call you could really make. You know, at that point, I think, you know, uh, Herb Dean would take too much upon himself to try to make an officiating call. Right then and there, so I think the easiest calls to go, hey, it's a TKO, especially because you know the fight was. You know, who cares how the fight was going? Because it's hard to say that because mm-hmm. you know fights turn around a drop of a hat in, in, in MMA, mm-hmm. um, and then you just it goes in front of the commission and they just turn it into a no contest.
0: Yeah, and and that that may be where it ends up. I mean, I think there's there's a good case for an appeal for Ellenberger. Yeah, because I, think, I
2: mean, even you know, even uh, Jorge can't sit there and say that you know, well, you took away a win. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, the guy's foot got jammed in the cage, and it's no, you know, nothing wrong with you, and nothing wrong with Ellenberger, and hopefully, you know, you guys, everybody gets their win bonus, and just you know, and it doesn't blemish, uh, you know, a loss on Ellenberger's record when, you know, it, it wasn't he wasn't in a position to defend himself properly because of a freak accident.
0: Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think it's going to spell the. The end of uh, Jake Ellenberger's UFC career, um, although he was, you know, very close to being cut before uh, his last fight. <coughs> Pardon me.
2: Um, Do we know about the injury, though? I mean, was I mean, it swelled up pretty apparently in the uh, octagon, but uh, did we hear? Did a foot fracture or?
0: No, I haven't heard anything conclusive on that.
2: Uh, well, I mean, even if it wasn't fractured, having your foot jammed underneath yeah. the thing while someone's hitting you and twisting you around, uh, I think most people would. You know, you know, obviously pay attention to their foot and try to get their foot ripped out from the cage yeah. first, you know. And so uh, I'm not saying it needed to be an injury. I was just curious because it did seem like a pretty precarious angle to have his foot jammed in there. I thought, I thought for sure his, his big toe was broken, you know.
0: Yeah. And, and it may, um, there, there may be some type of medical suspension that comes along with that. But I think that, you know, talking to Masvidal, in the post-fight press conference, he's ready to move on. He's ready to, uh, you know. He mentioned the name uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. If uh, Cerrone wins his fight against Matt Brown, uh, Masvidal would would like it. I was surprised to find out Masvidal was not even ranked as a uh, as a welterweight before this fight. Yeah, and
2: I don't think it's fair for to have to face the match if they make it a no contest. I don't think that I don't think there's a strong argument to really warrant that you know. If it had gone reverse, let's say, in that fight, Mazaval threw the flying knee at that moment and had his foot stuck in the cage, then I think, like, okay, you know, you were beating Ellenberger's, you know, beating his ass, and and so we got to switch this back around and give you guys a rematch. Uh, because you know freak accident turned the tide of this fight but you know it wasn't looking very good for Ellenberger and again I mean maybe he could have came back but I don't think at the same time that they could issue out a no contest to not punish Ellenberger for the fact his foot got stuck in the cage I don't think they should have to face a rematch because yeah. then that kind of punishes Masterval. he should be able to move on and move on to a ranked higher ranked guy and, and increase his career and in a sense even if it's changed to a no contest I think the way his trajectory of his career should go from that fight is to treat it as a victory, just like we don't want to treat it as a loss. Yeah. For uh, no, you're right. It we don't want to treat be, it as a victory. We should treat it as a victory for Jorge.
0: Yeah, it should be a no lose situation, kind of for everybody yeah. involved, uh, and and it it could likely go that direction. I mean, Masvidal wants. Uh, you know he he said in the uh in uh, to me in the the press conference that he's t- his words were he's tired of fighting ultimate fighter winners and up and comers i think was the way that he put it uh that you know he wants top ranked uh opponents and and he certainly I, again i i thought i was just kind of amazed without really breaking down his wins and losses on paper that he was not even ranked in the top 15 among UFC uh, welterweights. Ellenberger was ranked higher than him. But um, I imagine that will now uh, change. The one other fight, though, Frank, I want us to talk about is uh, what happened on the prelims between UFC veteran Gray Maynard, who now uh, has fought his last couple of fights down at the 145-pound featherweight level. He took on Ultimate Fighter winner Ryan Hall. Now, Hall won the show. He won the uh, McGregor-Faber season, which was last year, Uh, So it's been about a year since we saw him win the Ultimate Fighter. His live finale fight was against uh, Artem Lebov, and he's had injuries. So he has not—this is basically his official UFC pro debut. Um, And he was probably the best pure jiu-jitsu practitioner to ever win the show, a very uh, high-level jiu-jitsu fighter. And he used that jiu-jitsu uh, prowess to defeat Gray Maynard Saturday night, shutting Maynard out on the scorecards in a fight that Maynard was very visibly frustrated by. Now, if you didn't see the fight, essentially, um, every time that Maynard would close in on Hall, Hall would pull guard, go to seated guard... Maynard would not engage him on the ground. Uh, Hall would attack Maynard by rolling into his legs, going for leg locks, uh, never really was able to grab a hold of anything dangerous in terms of a, of a leg lock submission attempt on Maynard, although he did get a hold of his leg a couple of times. But apart from all that, was very effective on the feet with high kicks. He has been training with uh, Stephen Thompson's dad, Wonderboy's dad, on the karate style. So Hall uh, landed uh, a, a lot of solid uh, high kicks. But through, I, I mean, I'd be surprised if he threw five punches the whole fight, and if two of them actually landed. I'm talking about Ryan Hall. Essentially won a fight without ever uh, throwing a significant punch. I thought it was, one, absolutely clear that Ryan Hall won this fight. Number two, absolutely clear that he had an incredibly effective game plan. And Gray Maynard was very upset by it. He didn't want to really engage with him after the fight. Uh, he didn't want to shake his hand, some things like that, and was critical of it uh, after the fight. And I just, I just, I, I like Gray Maynard a lot. I've, I don't know him personally, but I've had you know interview conversations with him and, and nice talks and everything. So I don't, I don't have anything against Gray Maynard as a person. I just think that Ryan Hall gets shortchanged in this regard because um the the casual fan is going to be critical of that style they're going to boo they booed that night in the uh in the theater that I was in because you know they want a fist fight but to me what are we really saying when we're watching a a a mixed martial arts competition i mean you're if i'm going to the ground and you do not engage me there is that really any different than you being on your feet and me not engaging you there no
2: i think there's no difference i think that uh you know uh and i like gray and i've known him for a long time yeah uh, went to high school uh, you know out here in the same schools you know uh, here in las vegas uh with the same age and uh uh not engaging you know hall on the ground and then just basically mad at him that he's not making it a fight it's like well then, then you make it a fight. Mm-hmm. You can't sit there and be mad that a guy is doing something that you don't want to face. It would be like me being pissed off. You know, it'd be like Hall being pissed off at Gray for not engaging his guard. Well, come down here, come down yeah. here. It's like, well, no, you can't be mad at him for not wanting to engage, and you know, and so vice versa. I think that uh, you know, it was it was frustrating to see that that in Gray's mind, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you know, if, if uh, you know, you and I are playing a game and I have a tactic that's kicking your ass, you can't get mad at me for using that tactic you know I mean you can but it isn't my responsibility to stop doing something that's within the rules that's beating you it's your responsibility to stop me you know Mm -hmm. you have to be proactive you can't uh, sit there and complain well the other guy needs to stop doing that it's like is that really the mentality uh, that you should have no it's like well you know shit you know I hope that he's dumb enough to stop doing what he's doing to beat me but I I have to take it upon myself to take charge of the situation and and try to defeat it myself and I can't be frustrated that you are going to come was and do something that's going to beat me.
0: And to me, even if we rely on the old adage of, well, we should go by, you know, Whatever the real fight is like, you know who's going to win the real street fight. You know we we bring that up sometimes, right? Like we go, well, yeah, you may round around, you may have won on the scorecards, but you know it's clear that if this had been a street fight, I was going to beat you unconscious because of the way the third round was going. We've heard that analogy applied before, right? In terms of rationalizing uh, who really quote unquote won a fight. But let me just say, if you come up to me on the street. And you're going to rob me, and I fall to my butt, and you turn around and go get back in your car, didn't I win the street fight?
2: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, <laughs> I mean, if, if,
0: if you don't want thing. any Still, part I mean, of
2: me, I think that actually, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to call anything bad coaching in this situation. Yeah. But um, I think that going into the third round, there was just too much. Fee- At that point, I didn't understand why you don't just engage. It's like, look, dude, um, you're losing, obviously, the first two rounds. I don't think anybody here thinks that you're winning. and You can't think that you're winning either. Um, go get them. You know. Okay, so he's pulling guard, and you just keep pulling out of footlocks. Jump on him and try to punch his face through the mat. You know, let's try to use ground and pound to beat jujitsu now. You know, and you know, and use top wrestling position because he's not going to engage with you in a boxing match. Um, And so, and he's winning. So, guess what? It isn't his responsibility now to come out and beat you. It's your responsibility to beat him. Do you know what I mean? It's like you know, it'd be like you know, if we're playing a football game and you're up six touchdowns. And you keep just going ahead and taking a knee or just, you know, running down the clock. I can't start yelling at you going, well, hey, man, play ball. Like, it's like, stop, you know, stop eating up the time. It's like, well, no, no, buddy. (laughs) You see all those points I scored. Yeah. Well, guess what? It's late in the quarter, fourth quarter. I'm going to sit on that lead and I'm going to go ahead and play safe and smart and it's your responsibility to come out and kick my ass or score some points and, and make this competitive. It isn't my responsibility to open the door to give you an opportunity to win this match. I mean, fair play my ass. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like we're here to win, right? And you know, you might not be happy about how I went about it, but it, it is what it is, man. Like uh, and that, so I don't know, what was your take on that? Why didn't Gray possibly just throw caution to the wind i mean do you think he thought maybe he was winning the fight i mean no
0: i he had to have known that he wasn't now this is supposition on my part i mean i'd have to ask him about this and i don't even know if if he would have this thought consciously as opposed to subconsciously but in a general sense i do think that sometimes in fights like this there is a danger for the the fighter who is winning the moral victory. In other words, the the popular vote with the fans because if if you're on the ground and that's your world and you're you're pulling guard and you want me to go to the ground, right. and I want and no part of it. The crowd's booing me for doing do, so. That's right. Because they want to see two guys stand and slug it out. Right. So I think sometimes the fighter who is not the recipient of the booze, ends up being the de facto crowd favorite, and they get too enamored with that. They get too enamored with the going, well, this crowd obviously thinks of the two of us. I'm the guy who's the real man. I'm the guy who's really here to fight, and they end up, settling for that victory you know now i do not want to put that on gray without him saying that that. i just that's just a thought that i have no that could
2: be the reason why not to go down there and and maybe have a moral victory over a trying to actually win the fight and and again i i was just surprised on how cautious and how fearful they were of Ryan on his back, mm. where I would think that, I mean, obviously you don't want him wrapped around the legs, no 50-50 guard type work, uh, you know, it could be scary. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I've seen many good jiu guys get shut down with some good top game mm-hmm. elbows and punches and just, you know, don't get swept and, you know, obviously, you know, uh, let's not get thrown into a triangle here or anything. But uh, uh,
0: Well, and it's not like Gray was a a pure kickboxer coming no. into this. I mean, he's got a wrestling background, yeah, you know, no, and tough. I mean, gritty. I mean, I, you know, it's not like that's a guy that we haven't seen tested and can, you know, take a punch and and, and end up, uh, you know, pounding somebody out. So I don't yeah. – yeah. Very
2: powerful know. and big, strong guy, and, uh, and he knows submissions on the ground. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised he didn't just try to, you know, push him up against the cage and beat him up, and especially even just, you know, throwing the dice. Yeah. Uh, you know why go cautiously into the night you know? mm-hmm. like you know it's uh you know let, let's go ahead and if you're losing on points let's you know jump on him, you know i mean i'm not asking you to fly an arm bar there but yeah you know like hey let's go ahead and engage him on the ground you know he's winning so you know you don't have the pull you know the the cards aren't set in your favor to where he's going to come into your world because you're winning you have to go into his world and take away a victory
0: so yeah yeah it uh it's you know I, I i look forward to you know that by no means uh, uh is the last time I want to see Gray Maynard fight. I look forward to seeing him back doing more of, of what he's been known to do over the years. But at the same time, I'm excited to watch Ryan Hall and where this goes because uh, it's going to be interesting to see him. The first time he fights I don't know that he's ever going to encounter anyone uh, on his level of jujitsu within his weight class. I mean, you're talking about you know, I mean, I'm I'm sure Damian Maya could give him all he could handle, but that's a way bigger fighter. So I don't know right now, off the top of my head, who in those lighter weight classes could give him uh, that kind of jujitsu battle. However, I am anxious to see him take on a more accomplished jiu-jitsu fighter just in the sense of somebody who's not totally wanting to stay away from that aspect yeah. of it you know somebody somebody, engage who, a little bit. somebody who can hang a little bit yeah and then we'll we'll see what all has in uh, the rest of the aspects of his game all right that is going to more than do it for this evening we've given you a lot of content a lot well, of pure fight talk <laughs> yeah it was a lot of it was a lot of pure fight talk uh, and that's kind of the thing is like you know you it's interesting to read the iTunes comments uh, on our phone booth fighting podcast by the way uh, if you have not left us a comment yet on our iTunes page, uh, do me a favor. Do Frank a favor. Go there. Click on the five stars. Uh, that keeps us at the top of the uh, five-star review level, keeps us uh, at the near the top of the rankings, and that's where we want to be with iTunes. And if you uh, are feeling uh, particularly inclined, write us a favorable review on there. We like to read those on the air. And it's interesting reading those, Frank, because I can always tell – when somebody just randomly jumped in on a podcast. Because sometimes they'll say, oh yeah, this is like a pure fight talk podcast. And then sometimes they'll say... I don't know. It says MMA, but the episode I listened to, they didn't talk about fights at all. And then there'll be a third version where somebody will go, I love this mix. You know, this episode was it had fight talk, but then it had, you know, whatever philosophy uh being broken down. So that's just it. It's a mixed bag. You never know what you're going to get. Sometimes it's a fight episode like tonight. Sometimes it's no fights at all, and sometimes, probably more times than not, it's just a mixture of both. So uh, please, iTunes, Phone Booth Fighting, uh, click on the five stars, write us a favorable review. We would so appreciate you for doing it. But above and beyond anything else, the most important thing you can do is to tell a friend about phone booth fighting. We do this for you twice a week. Spread the word. Tell a friend who is a fan of mixed martial arts or maybe just a fan of good conversation that they need to check out our phone booth fighting podcast. It comes to you twice a week. You can get it via the aforementioned iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, SoundCloud. A hundred other uh, platforms are available out there pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast you can get phone booth fighting and of course the website is phoneboothfighting.com all right frank a couple things you need to tell listeners about now right now at the top of our phone booth fighting facebook page there is an amazon banner pinned to the top of that page What is the significance of that? Why do I need to know about that Amazon banner? Well, especially
2: with the holidays coming up, as everybody's doing their online shopping, uh, it's a way to contribute to the show because uh, Amazon will not raise the prices. You will not be paying any more for any of the merchandises that you purchase. You'll be buying them for the same price, except for now Amazon's going to lose a small percentage of that income and send it our way that we can use towards the show. So it's a way of contributing without any effort on your part besides clicking on a different icon instead of going straight to amazon going through our homepage.
0: go to the phone booth fighting facebook page click on that amazon banner at the top of the page you click through to amazon do your shopping from there and we get a small percentage we would appreciate you for it uh also t-shirts official phone booth fighting logo t-shirts available in multiple styles and colors now as well as uh autographed uh vintage fight inspired uh, posters are available at phoneboothfightingshop.com. All the stuff there makes a great Christmas gift in and of itself. phoneboothfightingshop.com to get your t-shirts and posters. And finally, Frank, how do they follow the show on social media?
2: Well, if they want to follow it on our Facebook or our Snapchat, they can follow it on uh, or excuse me, our Instagram. follow it on uh, Phone Booth Fighting and on our Snapchat or Twitter they can follow on Phone Booth Fight.
0: That's it. Alright, for Frank Mir, I am Richard Hunter. This has been Phone Booth Fighting and we'll see you next time.
2: Everybody was Kung Fu
4: fighting Those kids were fast as lightning In fact, it was a little bit frightening
2: But they fought with